Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Agman Report for today. It is Tuesday, January 16th, 2018. You want to see a coup, what a coup looks like in, in a civilized country in America? You're watching it. You're seeing it happen. You're seeing the takeover or attempted takeover by the deep state of the Donald Trump administration. It's a continuation of what had happened before, during, and after, immediately following Election Day. If um, uh, You know, I, I'm coming in here a little bit uh, steamed. A little bit. Uh, yeah, because I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I don't understand what is wrong with people, why people are not seeing what is happening. I am seeing so many people attempting to uh, just hanging hope on hope that uh, Mueller is working uh, or saying that Mueller is actually you know working on behalf of Donald Trump. It just mystifies me as how people can think that when you've got well over half of his team, investigative team, that have donated um, and are supportive of the Hillary Clinton uh, swamp creatures and Obama holdovers. You got his chief investigator Andrew Weissman, who is uh, who had a had a long conversation with the Associated Press prior to uh, Paul Manafort uh, with about Paul Manafort, the AP talking about uh, talking to um, the AP about Paul Manafort, and then he's brought on to Mueller's special counsel, and of course. Uh, and prior to the uh, Manafort, uh, Mueller going after Manafort. So you talk about an investigation starting out sideways before it even has a chance to go sideways. There's that. And then, of course, Weissman's long history of uh, prosecutorial abuses, the... um, his failure to provide exculpatory evidence in previous investigations that he superintended, his just decimation of Enron, uh, well, the component of Enron, the um, Arthur Anderson accounting firm, where tens of thousands of jobs were just uh, shattered, four people imprisoned, yet the Supreme Court ruling, a unanimous ruling, overturned the, ultimately turned, overturned the convictions, so this is Andrew Weissman, the chief, one of the chief prosecutors for, uh, or investigators for the special counsel. So anyone who believes that that uh, uh, special counsel Mueller is working on behalf of uh, Donald Trump, or you know, working for the White Hats in some convoluted way, get your head out of uh, out of where it doesn't belong. Do we know where that? Those claims originate from? Do we know? Well, it's, it's just, you know, there are cottage industries on the, on the uh, internet where you've got these people saying, well, oh, don't worry. Miller's, Miller's got it all under control. This is actually Miller and Donald Trump are working together. And it's, it's just, I'm, I'm growing frustrated. I'm seeing this. I'm thinking, my goodness, how many, how many people are you influencing or attempting to influence by these these false narratives? Now, look, here, here's what's going on in a nutshell, and and uh, you've got to you've got to understand that you, on the FBI side, of course, and I've said this before, you've got previous former FBI Director James Comey, and then FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, and FBI Assistant Director in Charge of Intelligence uh, Counter. Uh, 
uh, terrorism, uh, Bill Presap, and then, of course, Batman. Uh, I like to call Peter Strzok Batman because he's everywhere. And then on the Department of Justice side, you've got Loretta Lynch, or had Loretta Lynch, and then Sally Yates, the Deputy Attorney General there. And, of course, Bruce Orr, whose wife now, or had worked for Fusion GPS. And, of course, uh, we know that Nellie Orr worked with Christopher Steele in the production of that 35-page dossier. So when I look at this from a overview, when I, when I take a look at this from a, um, wide angle, with a wide angle lens, uh, you can see where all of this, uh, the, the, uh, what this is is a political assassination and a political assassination attempt that's still going on. And as we look at the news of last week, what are we seeing? We're seeing, uh, we're, we're seeing calls that uh, Donald Trump is, of course, uh, out of his mind. He's, he, he's, you know, uh, saying that he's mentally unfit. Yeah. Press conference today with the doctor. The, uh, today the White House press corps for over an right. hour, uh, as the newsbusters reports, sunk to a new low of embarrassment by clownishly uh, asking over an hour the Navy Real Admiral Ronnie Jackson about the President's mental health after he was given an examination and a number of cognitive tests where apparently he passed with flying colors, but that didn't stop the media from asking a number of just terrible questions. What was he asked to put the uh, square peg in the square hole and the round ball in the round hole? Is that is that what it was? I mean, embarrassing, yes, to, to the press, but the mainstream media has turned from an objective, if it ever was, organization into a weapon of the progressive left into a weapon of the deep state. And and this is why when we have Peter Berichak on protecting and talking, elevating, or at least Talking well and protecting uh, Sean Hannity. Who in the world out there in the in the mainstream media is protecting Donald Trump except Fox News and a portion of only a portion of Fox News? That would be Sean Hannity and to an extent Tucker Carlson and others. But this is Laura what Ingram. we're seeing. Hey, Laura Ingram, right? But um, the bottom line here is we are we are looking at one of the most historic, one of the most dangerous times in American history. It is now. It is unfolding in the. The kickback, what we're seeing now, the uh, uh, the the pushback against the deep state involves the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. I talked about this a little bit on my program today and yesterday. Um, the the uh, Devin Nunes, and you've got you've got Devin Nunes um, and others associated with on the, on the House side and then on the Senate side pushing for. Answers from the FBI Department of Justice, but when you look at this, the when you look at the uh, alleged allegations of Russian collusion, where did this all come from? You have to ask your question. Uh, ask the question: When did this start? How did it start? It all began after uh, President Donald Trump, then. Uh, well, then uh, citizen Donald Trump became the presumptive Republican nominee back in May of 2017, uh, and, and then, of course, officially after or at the Republican National Convention. But we're seeing this This begin with Fusion GPS, the opposition research firm, being paid by Hillary Clinton. And, and just consider the fact that Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid Perkins Coy, who paid Fusion GPS some $5.6 million dollars 
parts of which, uh, I think at least 3.5, or, or the, then the DNC, I'm sorry, paid uh, Fusion Jeep, or uh, I'm sorry, paid Perkins Coy, uh $3.6 million. And from that came the product, the Russian steel dossier. And the FBI reportedly, based on all of the evidence, reportedly was involved in financing that Russian dossier also, or at least Christopher Steele, subsequent to, or or, uh, during the time period, uh, through the publication of the dossier. So you had Steele being funded by Hillary Clinton, the Hillary Clinton campaign, that is, and the DNC, all through Perkins Coy Law Firm, millions of dollars and then after um after that was over the FBI picked up the tab for Christopher Steele reportedly and this will come out so think about that and and so you've got the you've got the weaponization of the intelligence agencies against the sitting president and no one or very few are talking about this. Very few are, are, are pushing this, uh, this, no, we, all, all they can talk about is S-hole and how many times, you know, the S-hole, uh, was, or how many, how many times they could, they could say S-hole during a news broadcast. This is absolutely incredible. So if you're not paying attention right now, you're missing out on a coup, on, on a coup in this country. And I'll tell you something. It is going to end. I do believe that we are going to see the uh, both the House and Senate do one of two things. You're either going to have a special counsel for the Department of Justice and FBI, or you're going to have Mueller just essentially kicked out and uh, made to stop, because or both perhaps. But Mueller is certainly out of control. It's it's the special counsel is out of control. And if you understand all of the new nuances, it would take really it would take me probably two hours to connect the dots between your to explain this, to connect the dots between uranium one, the emails, uh, all of the Middle East, what was going on there during Clinton's Secretary of State tenure and Obama's oversight, um, and how this all connects to today. The appointments, the political appointments in the Department of Justice and the FBI, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, appointments by uh, Mueller and later Comey and Lynch to various higher positions in the hierarchy of, of the FBI and Department of Justice, respect, respectfully, uh, respectively. So when you when you dig down deep, all of this circles back to a deep state war that was waged against Donald Trump by the denizens of the deep state. And that's what we're watching today, and we need to really pay close attention and unroll these uh, various threads of investigation. And right now we're seeing where the the FISA, the special counsel, or the FISA court, um, based, it would appear today, based on all of the information collectively, that the that the uh, wiretapping, the authorization for the FISA warrant, was based solely on that dossier. Now think about that. That should scare the wits out of every thinking American. Our Fourth Amendment rights have been violated by virtue of the, what happened to President Donald Trump, and it's even worse because they're going after a political opponent. Think and think about that. And the and, and um, based on a lot of uh, research and investigation, it would appear that the FISA court judge in question, who, who authorized. The FISA warrant in October of 2016 was Rudolf Contreras, uh, 
And if I were him, I would be absolutely livid that I was played by the Department of Justice, played by the FBI, played by a bunch of deep state actors. Notice he was recused from uh, any investigations over any, well, further investigation, further, uh, not investigation, but uh, uh, court uh, hearings uh, over Mike Flynn. So this is how big this gets. The Contreras recusal from the Mike Flynn case. That's a huge deal. And I'm going back a little ways in time, but all of this connects. And when you look at all of the documentation, and it's all here, um, thousands, really, hundreds, if not thousands of pages collectively that documents all of this, from the Wall Street Journal to the Seattle Times, for crying out loud, from the left, from the right, if there are any right publications, but mostly, mostly the leftist print publications and all leftist um, uh, television and radio publications. What we're seeing here is just a, just an all-out war against the freedom uh, the uh, uh, president and also the American freedom-loving people in the United States, and this is something that we have to keep our keep our eyes on, keep a watch on. So that's kind of what I really wanted to lead off with. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm angry that there's not a lot of attention being paid to this right now. Uh, not a lot of attention by the by the uh, media and a lot of the alternative media. We're getting played. A lot of the people in the alternative media are getting played. Don't let yourself get played. Let's call it like like it is. And understand that Mueller is not a friend. Mueller is not working with Donald Trump. There's not some organized conspiracy on the other side that, oh, wait, you know, you're going to see this big roundup, this big perp walk of people. That's not going to happen. Okay, just understand that. That's not going to happen. It would be nice in a perfect world if it did, but it's not. However, there is pushback. And we could win on this pushback. When I say win, we can certainly bring some people to justice. And I think from my video last night, I think we've got that possibility. So I just want to get that off my chest right away. Just let everyone know. I mean, I've been working on this 24-7. I've been talking with as many people as I can. I've been looking at this from every different direction. I've been, uh, the, the research that's been done uh, by myself and others is intense. But just, I'm going to leave you with this. This is perhaps one of the most critical times in American history. This is on par right now with the conspiracy to kill Kennedy. This is on par with the Watergate scandal. This is on par with any, pick a scandal, pick a crime, pick a conspiracy. This is on, on par with the biggest conspiracy in modern history that you can put your finger on. And that, uh, basically that finishes my, my opening statement at, at this point. Well, we know that Robert Mueller is not working with Trump, as we said earlier, and he actually issued a subpoena to Steve Bannon today. As many outlets are reporting, obviously, we um, it'll be interesting to hear what comes of that. Many news outlets have not reported that Bannon, uh, after the big news story that broke that with with Michael Wolff's book Fire and Fury, that he called Trump Jr. and his meeting with the with the a Russian treasonist. He has since backtracked and apologized um, in a number of different ways, and that really hasn't been covered by the media. So I see a lot of people uh, saying, oh, Bannon's going to flip on Trump and this and that. I don't, first of all, believe that there's anything to flip on, but if his behavior the last few weeks are any indication, it seems like he uh, 
he tried to to extend an olive branch to Trump to apologize to him. But it'll be interesting to see what this happened. And the Mueller investigation goes on, and so does the politics behind it. You have the the left, you know, just hoping for and making stories up constantly to try to bring the president down before even the conclusion of this investigation. Then you have the people on the right, some lawmakers and others saying, you know, you've been at this for a long time. You need to wrap this up. You need to to publish your conclusions, and the country needs to move away from this. And I I do agree with that, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. No, not interesting. What is going to be the next move? We're going to see Bannon interviewed. And what are we going to see? Is Trump going to sit down with Mueller? Not likely, but obviously, uh, you know, we're going to continue to be laser focused on this story. I want to kind of switch gears here, which is, uh, to, to another story, an extension from what we talked about yesterday. We were looking at the false alert that went off in Hawaii that they said it was a mistake. They said it was an accident. Giving, sending out an alert through the emergency management system warning of an impending nuclear missile strike from North Korea. Even on the message, it said this is not a drill. Many people were wondering how a mistake like this could happen. Could it even happen by accident? And there's a number of interesting uh, pieces of information that have come out today, and we're going to go through some of these that might shed some light onto what really happened. One is we have had another warning go out, warning of a North Korea missile attack, this time in Japan. This morning, uh, and i got to get the the um, <clears throat> call letters, but a Japanese media outlet, the NHK, has apologized for issuing a false report of North Korea missile launch Tuesday evening local time. This report is from the RT, but there's reports all across the Internet. Japan, uh, Japan public broadcaster falsely reports North Korea missile launch around 6.55 p.m., we reported on the NHK's news site and NHK's news disaster prevention application pattern of North Korea missile launch, but this was incorrectly issued. J-Alert has not appeared. I must sincerely apologize, the news outlet wrote. This incident just came four days after a public warning was issued to residents in Hawaii to seek immediate shelter from an alleged incoming ballistic missile, which had been lost. The alert was issued in error by the Hawaiian Civil Defense, which apologized profusely and sparking a debate about the uh, security and safety procedures of those messages. Now, after, I guess I was really slow on the uptake on this story, but after thinking about it a while, there's no way that these were mistakes, at least not the one in Hawaii. And there's a number of reasons I I say that, but first and foremost, I don't believe, and, and maybe we can have some people, anybody who works in the emergency management field, whether local, state, or federal, send us an email and let us know what the procedure in your area is when messages like this go out. What are the what what is the process? I mean, you have a message you need to send. Who who uh, okay's the message? How do you input it? And how is it sent? What are the the procedures? If information like that can be shared, and uh, that, as you said earlier, you don't believe it's a, a one step process where a simple slip of the hand would cause a message like that to go out. It's my understanding it's at least a five-step process. And if it was as simple as that, why wasn't an apology made right away or an acknowledgement of a mistake? Why did it wait? Why was there 38 minutes of time that went by before it was cleared up? <clears throat> the reports that the police officers knew it was not a legitimate 
message uh, have been coming out saying that they knew within the first few minutes, but how did they know? Probably from uh, they were wondering what was going on, <clears throat> and the emergency management personnel and, and police obviously have a open lines of communication. But there's other questions that really bother me about this, and <clears throat> when we don't know the name of the employee who did this, um, there was also an NBC crew doing a piece specifically on the reaction, uh, Hawaii's reaction to a potential nuclear strike, and he was, you know, at the right place at the right time. And, and managed to get all these great optics of, of what a real life scenario would look like. But is there something deeper here that, that we are, are not seeing or that is going on that we don't, that we don't know about? And I believe truly with this second alarm that went off in Japan that this is no accident. Whether it is, uh, as some say, a conditioning mechanism to gauge response times and to get people you know, so familiar with this that when it goes off, they think it's a mistake. Two other theories online that say, well, there actually was missiles launched, but were shot down. And any and everything in between is is what's making the rounds on on the internet, <clears throat> but not really being being discussed by the real news media or the mainstream news media. So it's a there's a lot of room for speculation out there, but there's definitely something going on here, and I don't know where it's going to end. And, and what the goals were, but th- there's something not right at all with two separate countries, two separate mistakes within a matter of days. When's the last time we even heard of one mistake like this ever happening? It doesn't happen. So everything I see and the more I look at it, the more I really do believe that it is, there is some other plan behind this as to why they did it. Now, <clears throat> go to HagmanReport.com. Make sure you bookmark the site. We have a bunch of great information up there today. This article caught my attention when I posted it earlier. Department of Homeland Security seeking to charge leaders of sanctuary cities. At the article in the Washington Times, there is a a video of the hearings with the um, DHS head, Christine Nielsen, Nielsen on Tuesday when she was uh, asked by federal prosecutors if they can lodge criminal complaints against sanctuary cities that refuse to cooperate with federal deportation efforts. The Department of Justice is reviewing what avenues may be available, uh, this according to uh, Nielsen, Ms. Nielsen. Her confirmation came after California's new sanctuary law went into effect on the 1st of January, and this has severely restricted cooperation between the state and federal government. Now, you have uh, ICE, <clears throat> the U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Director Tom Horman, says that there's policies put his officers in local communities at more risk, <clears throat> excuse me, because they have to arrest illegal immigrants and bring them out of the community. And they have a big problem with sanctuary city policies that shield the illegal immigrants from arrest. And it is a, a national security issue. And we see all this talk in the, in the political world now. Will we have a government shutdown over no DACA bill? And how is this going to play out? We know the government needs to pass a spending bill in order to keep the government funded. They've, the last two times they've, they've passed uh, very short temporary fixes to get us through the holidays. Now they got to put the cards on the table and pass a long-term uh, bill that will keep the government funded for, for a substantial period of time. But it seems like many on the left are not going to pass that bill unless they get their you know, coveted DACA. Even Chuck Schumer went on Stephen Colbert's show last night, and he said, you know, the president can prove he's not racist, 
he can prove it by giving us a clean DACA bill. And this just, you know, speaks further to the, the mentality of the left. Uh, you know, this is their, their, their game. They're, they're trying to, you know, like the president's going to acquiesce to what they, what they want, but, uh, this is what they do. You know, they, they try to paint you into a corner and say, well, if you do this, 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 and this, we, you know, we'll, we'll treat you better. But then they're just trying to get what they want and they're willing to shut the government down over it. And Trump today is, Trump sets up Democrats for blame if the government is shut down. This was another article from the Washington Times. That is up on Hagman Report, and I urge everybody to read it. And it just uh, the first few sentences, President Trump laid the groundwork Monday to blame Democrats if the government uh, has a shutdown at the end of this week, saying their decision to turn their back on him in ongoing negotiations is a recipe for failure. The White House increasingly confident it can win a shutdown showdown, saying the situation is entirely different from 2013 when Republicans took the bulk of the blame. Will we see a government shutdown specifically over an immigration deal, which looks to be uh, much more of a real possibility than it was even a few weeks ago? But the deadline is Friday, and that is when the next spending bill is due, which you need bipartisan support in order to pass. So will the government be shut down like we saw in 2013? It, it, it wouldn't matter. When it wouldn't matter. The, the, the government shutdown really doesn't matter to you or I or to the ordinary no. folks because it, it takes, all it does is take non-essential personnel, puts them on furlough. They get their money when they come back until all of the budgetary details are worked out. So it's it's much ado about nothing. And uh, but, but nonetheless, this will be used by the progressives in the government to attack the current administration. And yes, as leverage for things such as DACA. And, and you, right. So who's weaponizing this? It, they're it, trying would to, the, it would be the progressives. They're trying to hold the government hostage to pass a bill on their DACA. And it's not just DACA. The, the 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 left has taken issue with the term chain migration. I don't know if you saw that, but they uh, that now the term chain migration is offensive because uh, some are seeing it as it refers to people in chains. But what the president wants to do is is pass a bill that ends the visa lottery program, that ends chain migration to a, a very large, if not complete, extent, and have a, a merit-based system of immigration. What the left wants is just to bring as many people in from anyone everywhere they can and deal and worry about the problems later. Again, importing poverty and making the taxpayers fit the burden. When we talk about the government welfare, it's not government welfare that these people are receiving. It's the taxpayer-funded money that are taken out of our checks every week. So when you see everyday Americans and they say they don't want an immigration bill, I think America in large is sick and tired of paying uh, to support Poverty and people who uh, we see just being brought into the country for the sake of filling quotas. We're going to be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere. everyone to this edition of the Hagman Report on this Tuesday, January 16th, 2018. We're going to be joined by Paul Nealon, who is running for Congress against 
Republican Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. He's been a guest on our show before. We're going to get an update from him and his campaign and uh, where they where they stand. And I know this year is the uh, midterm elections, so I'm sure he is uh, you know in full swing of, of promoting and, and campaigning. So we're going to get an update from him on what he thinks on a number of issues, including his campaign and his chances of winning against Paul Ryan, which many people write off. But they remember there was a report a few weeks ago that, that said Paul Ryan was going to retire, which ended up being untrue or false, but um, a lot of speculation about what the future holds for, for Paul Ryan. Yeah, I, I want to, at this point, it'd be great to mention that uh, tonight's broadcast brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com. Use promo code HAGMAN30. HelloFresh.com. You, you know, HelloFresh, we use it at the Hagman household it is a meal kit delivery service that shops the plans it delivers your favorite step to step step by step recipe and uh, pre-measured ingredients for great meals right to your door so you can just cook eat and enjoy we love it my wife loves it I love cooking with it uh, I, I although I'm, I'm not the greatest cook in the world my wife is she makes these wonderful recipes dinner is never ever boring and I'm going to tell you right now it uh, saves us money that's hellofresh.com hagman30 for the promo code and that will give you $30 off of your first order that's hellofresh.com promo code hagman30 we love it and we thank the fine people at hellofresh um you know so okay so we have coming up Paul Nealon who's running for uh, the House House member House membership. Uh, we need to get rid of the deep state. Now, whether one can argue Paul Ryan is as part of that deep state. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, we, we What's, you know, I, I, look, I, I want to get rid of all of them, with the exception of those who have proved themselves to be worthy of our vote and uh, and our support. Let's start there. Who has met that bar? Well, maybe Rand Paul in the Senate. Okay, and, uh, perhaps Rand Paul. I would say that that maybe um, Chuck Grassley's kind of coming through right now. Uh, I I suspect that uh, Devin Nunes is is showing some true yeah. courage. Um. Uh, you know, Trey Gowdy, for all the bluster, for all the smoke, for all the hammering on the desk, where are the investigations? Did, you know, from his, or I shouldn't say the investigations, from his investigations, where are the recommendations for prosecution? How about when you are faced and you are doing a, uh, uh, if you, when you are conducting a House or a Senate investigation, regardless of who, no, it doesn't matter who I'm talking about right now. If someone does not cooperate, what about issuing a contempt of Congress citation? Have we seen? When's the last time we saw one of those? Um, not not too frequently. So we need to have people with 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 fortitude and with tenacity and the persistence in order to get uh, to get the job done. I apologize for my voice. I, I spent an hour, I think it was an hour on uh, KFAQ 1170 this morning with Pat Campbell, my good friend out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've been talking all day. And of course, my, my show this morning, and it's just, uh, it's just been one of those days. So um, if I sound a little bit raspy, that's because of all of that, uh, all the talking I do. It's hard to shut me up, I guess. Uh, so at any rate, yeah, deep state. Who Who is, I mean, who, who else? Well, we were talking about Paul Ryan. Yeah. Um, 
just real quick on on Paul Ryan. Obviously, he uh, he's a politician, and you have, I guess, what three categories of, of politicians right now in America? You have the progressive left, you have the the right, the the establishment right. Yep. And and I guess in those little in the groups on the left and right, you have the you know the the left and the extreme left, the right and the extreme right, and then you have the people who care about the truth. And, you know, the, the rule of law and, and the things that are important. And those seem to be very far and few between. But, but the, now the extreme right, dude, don't, don't, no, no, hold on a second, because I think sometimes people. I mean, mistake. I'm not saying extreme right, like a terrorist extremist right. No, I'm no, talking about no. the, the diehard neoconservative Republican, you know, the war hawks, the John McCain types. And well, the, that's deep state. That's yeah. not extreme right. Well, the, the extremes on the both the left and the right. Well, I, I would okay, but I would consider on the right on the right. If you're talking about the political right, I would I would say that they're more equivalent to the conservative base. Uh, now, again, I'm not talking about the the rhinos. I'm not talking about the deep state, but the uh, the 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 right of center, political center. And when you say extreme, I, I'm not even sure that would be a good phrase. The, the modifier extreme right. The, uh, that's just not. Because we're talking about the rule of law, we're talking about the Constitution, we're talking about uh, having morals, ethics, family values, traditional family values. If that's extreme, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about. Um, I mean, people might have conservative values, but still be be war hawks, be unconstitutional lawbreakers, and we've seen that in, in past administrations. And I guess we can just we don't even need to do the left and right. We can just say politicians in general. Uh, versus those who who care, but we do have our our guest right. with us. So well, Globals versus uh, non or nationalists. Go ahead. Yeah, and we and uh, Paul Nealon is our guest, running for Congress in Wisconsin for the seat that Paul Ryan has, the Speaker of the House. And Paul Nealon, we were just talking about Paul Ryan. Is he a uh, regular politician? Is he part of the deep state? What is his role in this government? And I'd like, I guess, your opinion on this. Where do you think Paul Ryan fits as far as? Um, the whole government structure is he a what what they'd call a swamp creature is he just a, a politician uh, how do you see paul ryan well thanks for having me guys i apologize if my connection's not that good um uh on location my 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 heart incident uh, the good news is he uh his heart was shocked back into rhythm today and things are going well so i'm i'm in very high spirits right now my dad's uh, doing better than, than we thought he was, so things are good. Uh, to answer your question, uh, Paul Ryan is, uh, bought and paid for politics. Uh, he has sold his on, uh, Puerto Rico hedge fund investor bailout. Uh, he kept Obamacare around as long as he could. He didn't hold a vote on a strict Obamacare repeal. He has continued to fund everything uh, that he funded for the Obama administration, which was every dangerous immigration policy, every um, refugee resettlement racket, diversity lottery visa, Paul. And I've got Paul Ryan on camera in 2013 in Racine, Wisconsin, uh, doing his version of the SH whole country's routine in front of a group of illegal aliens, and he basically said, you know, if I lived somewhere where I feared for safety and their well-being, I would do anything to uh, get them essentially to America, 
rather than saying I was living in a, in a country that um, was corrupt or was a problem. So a globalist, for sure, he wanted to transpose and he is a uh, not an America first by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, and I, uh, Paul, I, I apologize. I understand you're working under the best of conditions there. What'd you say, Eric? Okay, because we because your information is so valuable, um, and, and we're we're right now going out. Uh, we've got so many people connected. Can we reconnect to you by telephone as opposed to video Skype, so the connection is better? Because we don't want to miss a word of what you're saying. Sure, you got it. All right, the technician will connect by telephone, uh, just uh, momentarily. And I don't know what it is with Skype or the internet today, but this is um, yeah. one of several problems we've been having. Our our two guests, it's, it's uh, not she, that the it's... Skype connection is is messed up. And I noticed today, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, if there's some kind of tax on the internet that that's um, taking place. But I noticed that when doing the Daily Show, as soon as I get done, I turn CNN on, and throughout the day there's glitches coming in. And it wasn't just on the CNN station. So I don't know if, if something is messing with communications today, but it seems like every Skype conversation that's been attempted today has failed. So we'll just well, do this uh, the best we can. Yeah, it's it's not it's on not our, our side, not our equipment, not. Yeah, our equipment. And we do want to we want to make sure that we get uh, that that we that you know every every word that Paul Newland says, we want to get it right. It's it's one of the things that that I we dislike about. The programs um, that the connections, the connectivity issues, when it, when they're bad, they're bad. It throws it's, us off. It's, it's, and it's very difficult to hear. Sometimes, you know, you get an echo in your ear and such. So, if it's and that's why sometimes when uh, Steve and and uh, the other the other night Steve and Tim Alvarino were on and we were talking to him and there was this delay. So it it, it was almost as if we were not paying attention. It, it was so difficult sometimes to hear, and it's. Um, it's it's not, you know, it, it it depends on the area, it depends on the day. The, but we're all hardwired in here. We've got the the highest. In fact, we have the equivalent to our local television, our local NBC affiliate going out. That's what you and because of your help, um, we were able to achieve that and have that uh, connectivity. So, you know, it's not on our end. But what I heard from Paul, what he was saying is that Paul Ryan, uh, that he is on tape, Paul Ryan, uh, talking about countries, other countries in a, in a kind of a disparaging manner, the way that, uh, we have seen Trump, uh, being accused of what he, right. we've seen Trump being accused of doing this last week and through this week. But, uh, we have Paul back with us. Paul, can you hear us? Hey, gentlemen. Is this All better? Right. Oh, 100%. And, and we. Sorry about that. No worries. Just to be clear, you're at the hospital. You're with your dad. Is that? Yeah, yeah. We uh, he he had a um, uh, heart incident and uh, went into um, AFib, and oh, so um, he. But they they were able to. Uh, they they ended up shocking his heart back into rhythm um, after they Christ you God. know tried a few different things. So uh, you know I'm I'm thrilled. Um, you know, he's now they're working through some medication issues to get him squared away. But uh, he'll be in our yeah. prayers. 
And so will Thanks, you. Because I, 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 I know how rough that is. And thank you, by the way. And folks, listen, when you're campaigning for office and you've got uh, family problems, to sit down and to take, you know, 30 minutes out of your time to, to talk to us, yeah, that's saying a lot. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So you, you were saying, so, Paul, about the, uh, about Paul Ryan and some remarks he made about immigration in, in other countries. Yeah, that's correct. And, uh, I've got him on video saying that, uh, you know, if he lived in another country where he feared for his life or his family's well-being, he would do anything to, uh, get them out of there. Uh, which I thought, and, and rather than, you know, he's basically saying these countries are terrible. Those, those illegal aliens that he was speaking to in Racine, Wisconsin in 2013, they didn't scream at him and call him a racist. They, they gave him applause. And I, of course, I don't give him applause because I look at that and I say, wait a minute. Rather than tell illegal aliens who broke a law getting into our country that their responsibility is to fix their country, to make their country great, that it's better to come break our laws. That's what, that's what he essentially said. And, um, and I, and I have a huge, huge problem with that. We have laws on the books. We ought to be enforcing the laws on the books. Uh, there are no sanctuary cities for me to go rob banks and, and get off scot-free. There's no sanctuary cities for me to go commit assaults and get off scot-free. I'm a citizen of the United States. My expect, the expectation is that I'm going to go uh, uh, live a life where I follow all of the laws on the books. And yet, we allow people to come into our country and break our laws. And I, I, I have a fundamental question, which is, which race... Uh, gives people the, the, the ability to break into our country and break our laws. Because if I'm called a racist for suggesting that people shouldn't be able to come in, uh, to my country, I'd like to know what, what, what race gives you that ability that you can go break into somebody else's country? Um, I think there's none. I think there's no races that should be able to break into somebody else's country. Uh, but apparently, the left thinks there's plenty of races that can do that. Pretty much anybody can can break into the United States and break our laws. I have a huge fundamental problem with that. And Paul Ryan uh, wants to come up with some change to existing immigration law because his donors want it. People like Paul Singer, people, uh, uh, groups like uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is, is not to be confused with the local chambers of commerce, which do great work. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is a globalist organization that wants, uh, wants us to ship our jobs overseas or enable companies to ship our jobs overseas so that they can ship their products back to the United States. That is exactly not what I'm all about. I've closed in my manufacturing career uh, two factories in Mexico in, through different businesses and a, a factory in Canada and brought all those jobs back to the United States. And you know, I came up when all of the business consolidations were going on and people were figuring out, oh, we can leverage NAFTA to go to Mexico or we can move product over to China or to India. And, um, you know, so I had to, I had to battle through that. I was, I was in charge of Europe, the Middle East and Africa for a Fortune 500 for, for a while. And, uh, so I'm very familiar with, with, um, how, how the, how the game is played, and I played it to get jobs back into the United States. That was my uh, 
that was my gig. And, uh, you know, I still design equipment. I'm still uh, active in that. But I, I want to represent Wisconsin voters, and I want to represent America first, above and beyond America first. No, absolutely, Paul. And let's uh, break Very down. Strong. Let's break down the the uh, you know intentions and the reasons why we see this push for immigration. Uh, you know, basically uncontested uh, amnesty for for every, any and everybody who wants it. We know that uh, the left, and this has come out in memos just as, as early as last week from the Center for uh, Medical Progress, talking about you know the the moral reasons for immigration. But then they also talk about the future of their uh, political the votes. You know, they they talk. It's one of the, I don't the think main. You meant the Center for Medical Progress. Okay, maybe I, I didn't. It was uh, one of the organizations. I'll, I'll I'll get the quote here in a second. But it's for it's for votes, and that that's one of the main reasons that they do this. But what, what's really fascinating to me is the you know if we don't want our our we we can't even take care of our veterans properly. We don't even we have you know so many homeless. We have ten cities going up in, in California and other places. We can't even take care of our own citizens. But we're called uncompassionate for not wanting to bring millions of more people over here, not to get jobs and better their lives, as I have no problem with that. But when we're importing people by the hundreds of thousands, you know, every few quarter, every quarter, and they're, you know, 90% of them are, are going on government benefits and assistance, as I keep saying, we're importing poverty. And, you know, it's called, I, I see it as a forced compassion. They're saying, well, you're not compassionate and loving. Uh, you're a racist if you don't accept all this the way we present it to you, which is not the mm-hmm. case at all on, on the right. And if people don't make those those the distinctions. It's, it's always a black and white issue. So let me ask you this, Paul. What do you expect to see as far as this government, the potential government shutdown and the talk of the, uh, you know, bringing a DACA bill and in, in being passed and signed by the president? How do you see this playing out? Well, I think, look, I am convinced Paul Ryan wants DACA, but he is politician, and he wants to make it look like his hand was forced on this, or that uh, he came up with some, you know, grand solution that fixes everything, and we'll get we'll get several million Democrat voters. Paul Ryan's. Um, Corporate sponsors will get low wage workers, uh, and, and wage stagnation, which we've seen for the last 20 years. And Paul Ryan is going to, is going to exit stage right out of Congress. He's been, you know, this rumor that was out there that Paul Ryan is, is not going to run again. I've heard that directly from sitting members of Congress. Directly, personally, who are pulling for me who said, this is a real deal. Ryan's really uh, talking about not running. Keep up what you're doing. And, uh, you know, so that now they're trying the, uh, Neon's a racist card, Neon's an anti-Semite card, Neon is a white supremacist card. They're trying every possible way to attack me, and it's not going to work. It's simply uh, calling names is not is, is not going to work. I go on every show. I mean, this coming, coming on your show today, Demonstrates. If I get the opportunity to speak somewhere, I speak. It doesn't matter if it's far left, far right. Um, I, I take the opportunity to get my message out because I don't have tens of millions of dollars like Paul Ryan does. I have to take my opportunities where they present themselves. And um, whether it's the left or it's these neocons or career politicians, 
taking money from from donors and, and basically selling their votes. I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I am a, a, a constitutional conservative. I want jobs for Americans. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I want you to have a job, and I want illegal aliens out of my country. Amen. And you've been taken to task by a lot of people here over the last week, but it's been a constant barrage yeah. against you. But BuzzFeed it just did a hit piece on you. Um, here, <laughs> okay, uh, calling you everything from an anti-Semite, as you mentioned, to uh, yeah. white supremacist. Okay, so or at least implying that. Mm-hmm. So, are, are 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 these the tactics? I mean. Is are these the tactics of not just the left, the progressive left, but the rhinos, the establishment Republicans? Is this is, is this what's saying? Because I, I noticed some Bannon spokesman supposedly said they you're dead to them. What's up with that? Yeah. Well, uh, here's so here's uh, the, the real the real quick answer on that is uh, I went on a podcast um, that that one of Bannon's folks uh, reached out to me and said, did he go on this podcast? And I said, yes, I did. And they said, uh, you know, why would you, why would you go on this far right podcast? And I said, wait a minute, I've been on far left podcasts and been attacked by the right for going on far left podcasts. I go on everything. I don't, I don't discriminate. I have the same message, whether I am on the far left or the far right. And, um, so, so Bannon was upset about that. And, and Bannon has a guy who's very close to him, uh, at, at Breitbart, or he did, uh, and his name is Joel Pollack. And Joel Pollack is very close to, um, Ben Shapiro. And Ben Shapiro has been attacking me for quite some time. He is, uh, a fake conservative, and he is not an America First guy, nor, nor is, uh, Joel Pollack. And so, uh, one of, one of their mutual friends who is a, uh, a spokesman, uh, at Breitbart said, uh, Nealon's dead to us. Well, I said, I put out a statement saying, uh, clearly Breitbart hasn't been America first for some time. And right. I saw, I saw Breitbart as a, uh, uh, an impediment to me, but I personally, uh, knew Bannon and, and had, respect for him but i i said hey you know if the guys if the guy doesn't want to be america first that, that's, that's up to him uh and then a week later he got absolutely a ton of bricks dropped on him by trump so that to me was uh cosmic justice that that bannon stepped away from the america first and he was bannon first and and now look at breitbart um, uh, I, and I and I said this at the time. I said at the time I, I did an interview like that same day with the, with the whole Bannon shakeup, and I said, "You mark my words, my stock will increase and Bannon's will go down, and so will Breitbart's." And then I had no idea it was going to go down like it did for Bannon, um, of course. But you know, I don't wish anything bad on Bannon. I don't wish anything bad on Breitbart. I wish they were truly an America first. Uh, outlet and not, um, uh, I, I feel like they're controlled opposition at this point. And so, Interesting, yeah. Because you, you, you are not, definitely, you're America first, you're make America great again, you're pro-constitution, you are, you are family right. values, and anything that, and of course that is antithetical to, to even 
members of the uh, pseudo right, right? I mean, that's, that's right. what we're saying. Okay, yeah. And, and and you see how they attack me? They thought that they would. They thought they would attack me and say, um, oh, "We were racist," and and I'm gonna and I'm going to cower and. Uh, and begged forgiveness. I didn't. I came out harder on them. And then uh, they said, well, you're an anti-Semite. And I said, uh, I'm not backing down to this one either. So I don't know what they're going to come out with next. I'm sure they're going to come out with something. Uh, you know, maybe they'll... I'm not sure what they're going to come out with, but I'm not going to back down. I'm afraid of my God, and that's all. It's the only fear I have is that I'm not doing the right thing. Uh, the God expects me to do, and, and I'm not a perfect person, and I uh, try to do better, and I will continue to try to do better, but I'm going to fight for my countrymen here, and I'm not going to back down to any of these folks. So Amen. If, if you think that, um, if you think the attacks were, were vicious, I mean, look at that, look at that ridiculous piece that, that uh, BuzzFeed did. They they trolled around inside of some DM groups and they uncovered the astonishing story that political that political uh, campaigns coordinate. <laughs> I mean, that's what they said. Uh, Nealon coordinates doing tweets and he identifies a couple of people who have already identified that they they don't want to have anything to do with Nealon. Uh, so these guys declared a battle on me. They declared a war on me, uh, and I said I'm going to decimate them. And, and the arc, in the archaic sense uh, uh, of the word decimate, it meant reduced by 10%. That's the archaic. You know, these days decimate means annihilate. It means decrease by 90%. And so uh, people like Kurt Schlichter and and John Cardio and um, Shapiro, Ben Howe, Evan Stigfried, these guys who are attacking me, and they are attacking me constantly. John Podhertz, they're ridiculous. Uh, John Podhertz is like uh, a, a big trained circus animal on a tricycle uh, hurling slurs at me all the time. I, what am I going to be afraid of that? It's absurd. I, I, don't, I don't block him on Twitter because I get humor out of his shenanigans. I think he's uh, beclowning himself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let these guys uh, continue with their attacks uh, and, and not back down to it. Well, we applaud you for your position, your unwavering position. America first, make America great again. You're a constitutional conservative. Again, the mm -hmm. traditional family. You represent the heartland view, the views of the people in the heartland. And I appreciate boy, you saying that. Well, you know, it's clear. I've been following your, your, your tweets. I've been following your messages. And it, it's, it's, you're like, uh, you know, kryptonite to these, these virus. I mean, it's just amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Well, People melt yeah. down, you know? Uh, so, yeah. it, it, but boy, I'll tell you, you, you got some guts to go in there, to go into the lion's den. Um, yeah. And to you know, take on the, the well, hey, we only got about five minutes left. And it, look, uh, you've got the floor. Whatever message hey, you want I to give, that. Um, we, we got all we got all fifty states: Canada, Mexico, Central America, listening, right. member parts of Europe. So you've got the floor. Just have at it. Five minutes. Thank you. Um, so if people are interested in in hearing from me, my campaign website is elect 
electnealen.com, E-L-E-C-T-N-E-H-L-E-N.com, electnealen.com. You can go there and sign up, and I uh, have an email list that I keep in fairly regular contact with, and I answer emails. It's not like Congress where uh, you send a letter to your congressman and you get some uh, staffer who writes back. I answer, you know, I try to answer tweets and and Facebook and my and to my email list, and I listen. I've got two ears and one mouth, and I and I'm constantly learning and. When I learn something, I want to share with other people, and if I've got questions, I reach out to people and I ask uh, so that I can learn myself. I am an engineer, and I've run businesses, and I love doing that, but I've had such a magnificent career and such a wonderful life in the United States, and such good people took care of me as mentors growing up that I'm, I want to give back, and uh, I'll be speaking uh, April the 5th at the University of Alabama. Uh, if any of your folks uh, are down that way, I'll be marching in the March for Life in D.C. on Friday. Uh, if any okay. of your folks are around there, um, you know, I welcome your folks to uh, tweet at me or Facebook. Uh, uh, check us out and move our move our uh, goalposts because you know I don't need ten million dollars to beat Paul Ryan, but I do need. I do need donations. If your folks can make a donation, five five dollars is not embarrassing. Five dollars, every five dollars helps. Um, you know, I've got people who have maxed out twenty seven hundred dollars. I've had uh, couples who have donated twenty seven hundred apiece. But my average donation size is somewhere in the forty dollar range, um, and and that's just how it's going to be for a, con- for a constitutional conservative who hasn't spent a lifetime as a politician. That's just how it's going to be, and I'm fine with that. Uh, I don't care to be a lifetime politician. Uh, I, I, I need to get. We need to get rid of Paul Ryan. Uh, we need to get somebody who's willing to vote uh, for their constituents, for American citizens, and and I, I want to be that guy. Absolutely, and uh, you're definitely a fighter. And we need more people in positions of power who are willing to do. do just what you you're talking about. And this is what's so wrong with our country today is that so many people are out for themselves. Uh, or, or for the corruption, and it has gotten so out of control. We need to get back to our foundations. And uh, Paul Nealon, you definitely, um, you know, have the right, the right uh, agenda, and we do uh, appreciate that. And we'll continue to to stay in touch and promote your campaign. Thanks. And feel free to come on anytime. And, and give Thanks. give your father, give your father our best. We will be in contact with, God with bless you. you guys. We're we're supporting you. God bless you. Thank you so much for taking your time out and coming on this program. God bless you guys. Take care. God bless you. All right. That was Paul Nealon. And I've got to tell you, folks, a true constitutionalist, um, he deserves, in my view, he deserves your vote. Uh, elect if you, Nealon. Yes. Electnealon.com. If, of course, you, you know, if you're in the, the uh, but he deserves your, yeah, the proper voting district. <laughs> or you can catch that. the right bus. Or, yeah, catch, yeah that's right. Catch, yeah, but, 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 you know, how many people, are not speaking up for the American values. And imagine going into the lines then and taking on Paul Ryan. It, it's, and you know, we talk about it's this. It's amazing how important it is for, you know, this immigration debate that we're having. And, uh, our next guest is going to come on, Hani Herland, uh, her book, The Culture War. I want everybody, when they get a chance, to go to YouTube and watch Paul Joseph Watson's latest video. 
which is the mass brainwashing of Germany. And you see yeah. in this video what unchecked immigration will do to a country. I mean, there's clips in there that show, you know, the, the uh, soap opera stars converting to Islam and wearing hijabs and they, they, police officers telling people not to fly the German flag because it might provoke uh, these people. The news media changing their logos to a crescent and a star, the, the symbol of Islam. And, I mean, there's hundreds of more examples he goes through in the video talking about and showing even to the point where they, they arrest people who are critics of Islam and the unchecked immigration. And, and that's in, in Germany. Germany. And that's in Germany. The country is turning into an, an Islamic country. And not only that, the, he has clips in these videos of the politicians cheering it on, saying in 10, 20 years, there's not going to be a German culture. This is what they're going for here. Not only, it's an attack on the West. How come you don't see massive amounts of Muslim immigration into Australia or China or Japan or Russia? You see it on the West, and it's being forced upon the West, especially in Europe. And it is, uh, well, it's the European Union, it's the open border policy, it's what Hillary Clinton wanted to do here in the Western Hemisphere. Yes, Simple as that. And we have our next guest with us, and she was going to come on via Skype video, but we were having a, as we said at the beginning of the show, we were having a problem with a number of guests on our Skype. It was a number, a problem with Skype, not the guests. But she's the author, uh, the best-selling Scandinavian author of The Culture War, How the West Lots, Lost Its Greatness Was Weakened From Within. Hani Herland is our guest. Hani, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be with you. Boy, we're happy to have you. Your book, The Culture War, it's significant. It's fabulous. As a matter of fact, uh, had a chance to go through it. Um, in the, I love the tagline, how the West lost its greatness and was weakened from within. As Joe was talking about the, uh, change in the culture of Germany and other Western countries. You, you really point out about the culture war and how the world or the West, I should say, lost its values, which has caused its current, current decline. And I just, again, it's a fantastic book. I would urge everyone. I think this should be required reading to anyone and everyone, especially if you are concerned about the values of the West. Uh, Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. You've got some. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, honey, it's great to have you on. It's a, a fantastic book. And uh, I was reading some of your other interviews you've done. Uh, wh- let's just start here. Uh, what in, in Europe, We we and I was just talking when we were brought you on about a Paul Joseph Watson video, the, the mass uh, brainwashing of Germany where he points out how Islam has really uh, been brought in and has changed the whole society of Germany to where they're uh, being told not to fly the German flag. The symbols, uh, the little icons on the news stations have all you know gotten uh, crescents, the, the Islamic symbols. Uh, churches are being, are, are being decimated. How long until the West is completely destroyed by these unchecked immigration and migration? Invasion. Invasion, yeah. I would really say to that that um, the strongest culture will survive. It's a question of the survival of the fittest, and, and I would say that many of the Muslims that pour into Europe now, we have many, many million Muslims. Let me just add, first of all, they come because we don't get children anymore. Uh, it's the same problem you have here in the United States due to much of the feminist push 
push and you know a, a, a different uh, uh, cultural uh, the, the changing of the cultural values we've come to a point where it's very fashionable for women not to have children anymore because they're thinking about self-realization and and being independent and living their own lives and having fun and 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 all of that and and we're downgrading the family uh, and that's one of the main reasons for the influx of Muslims into Europe for example because uh, the original population there really are not able to sustain the growth look at nations such as Germany they highly need a workforce uh, and this is why and I mean Germany is the strongest state in Europe uh, I would really say look at their industry it's, it's amazing what they're doing and most of the people they hire in their factories and in all their industry are Muslims because there is not enough Germans to do the jobs so so the question is really complex and I think also that what many uh, multiculturalists thought maybe 30 years ago uh, once uh, the, the, the large migration started coming into Europe it, the people came as a workforce to do the jobs that uh, Europeans didn't want to do or out of lack of people in Europe we needed to import you know a, a great workforce from other countries but what what the multiculturalists didn't consider uh, they thought that once these people come to Europe they're going to want to change their values and they're going to want to become like us well they didn't want to become like us many of them in the sense that they still wanted to have their children and they wanted to stick to the family and they wanted to you know I mean they wanted to keep religion as a, as a strong cultural and spiritual force in their lives and the consequence we see today uh, to the surprise of the multiculturalists is that really Europe uh, has changed its, its values but the immigrants and the foreigners have not so they're stronger than us you make a, a, a number of, of excellent points, and, you know, I, I often wonder, because you said this, and this kind of caught my attention, They really, did they expect in the beginning for the, the people that were they were bringing in to assimilate into their country, or did they already know that this was not, that, that there was going to be no assimilation? I think they expected there to be an assimilation, and, and we have that same kind of push still going on in the Western countries and here in the United States as well through the globalist, you can say the internationalist movement. You know, they all dreamed of one world. I think Hillary Clinton even has a book about, you know, the global village, and we're all supposed to live together. And the, the, the bottom thought was really that everybody will want to be like Westerners. And maybe they did a couple generations ago when the West was stronger. I mean, there was a strong work ethic in the United States. There wasn't a question of a welfare, a country of wealth, a welfare state the way we see it turning into today. You were welcomed in the U.S. so long as you worked. If you didn't have a work, you know, anymore, maybe then you go back to Pakistan or wherever. And this created a strong, strong work ethic in, in America. And in Europe, we haven't had 
have the same push because Europeans have been more uh, reluctant and will be more into, you know, the welfare system to another degree. But in countries such as Germany, there's been a strong push towards working hard. Uh, but then we've seen a change in our culture. We have removed ourselves away from the faith in God, for example, meaning to say also the faith in the Ten Commandments. And, and this, I discuss this in my book uh, quite lengthy, actually, because what happens in a society if you remove the Ten Commandments, if it all of a sudden is okay for me to steal from you, to steal from the workforce, for workplace, you know, to it's okay for me to lie, call in sick when I'm not really sick. It's socially acceptable. It becomes socially acceptable to be uh, selfish and to think only about yourself. It's socially acceptable not to care for the elderly and the old. All of a sudden we lose uh, the solidarity in society and we don't care about the poor anymore. Even Christians don't care about the poor anymore. So so I think in, in this perspective we've lost something. So, so now we're more into the phase where we're saying, uh, you know, what did we lose? What happened to the West that once used to be so great? You are exactly right. And I just want to make sure our I want to reintroduce you as, so every, everyone knows who you are. We're talking with Hannah Herland. You know, she was born in the Congo, actually in 1966. She's a Norwegian author. She's a founder and host of the Herland Report. Folks, check out the Herland Report, but more importantly, the culture war. When I read this book, when I read her book, everything that she, that uh, Ms. Herland is, is speaking about right now with respect to the Judeo-Christian or the Christian ethic, the, uh, the backdrop of the Ten Commandments, so important in our society and ripped from our society. It just rang true. The book, The Culture War, in my view, um, as you, our Christian listening audience, understands how important our faith is to our country. And she really hits a home run with her with her book. Now, the Herlin Report features articles from leading intellectuals, activists, authors, professors on foreign policy, religious issues, Western culture decay, and the need for international justice as well is a big part of this. The Herlin Report, by the way, it's available in a multitude of languages. We've got, look, we've got listeners in Central South America, all over Europe. You can uh, access her uh, report as well as her website. And it's um, it's interesting because her editorial policy uh, resides above the traditional left versus right paradigm, which uh, Ms. Herlin claims has lost its relevance. And boy, do we agree here, don't we, folks, in the ability to describe the current driving forces in Western politics. She's written several several books, and the reason she's here tonight is to discuss her book, The Culture War, an absolute out-of-the-park home run grand slam on the culture war in which we find ourselves. I just, uh, I just th- thank you for indulging me. I just wanted to make sure that people really understood who you are and where to uh, find your work because it's stellar. It is so stellar and so topical today. Um, now, Ms. Herland, right now we are facing in America, I think, a, a, a crisis of unprecedented proportions in a number of areas. But most uh, equally important would be the lack of assimilation, as, as you spoke of, the invasion, if you will, and the overrunning of our Western culture. Starting out here, I guess, 
do you see um, does this end well for us on our current path well those are many questions and they speak for the whole uh, issue of us changing um, um, you know the, the values in our culture because um, we've spoken about that on the Herland Report to the TV show we have our own TV channel and we speak with leading intellectuals uh, both in the United States and in Europe and currently we're addressing the phenomenon that the American culture has gone from being a nation to being really a place of strife uh, and I know that Dr. Paul Craig Roberts has written an article it was quite uh, you know baffling to, to, to read it and in it he says that uh, when I was born and grew up the United States used to be a nation now there's only hatred uh, and I think that as the foundational values that once used to make America such a great place has been removed uh, and there's no respect anymore for the Ten Commandments for example uh, that stated like we, like we spoke of earlier you know thou shalt not lie and steal and covet other people's property for example all the, the values that lie within that if you rip that carpet off the ground and nothing replaces it you'll end up having a culture that more and more submerges itself into egoism and uh, materialism and that's the only value that you have and I think that, that that's really what's, what's happened in America and this produces uh, uh, hatred and it, 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 it produces a situation where people don't have any means to stop the hatred and you've seen how America has disintegrated from being a country focused on national identity we, we heard about that we used to hail you guys in, in Europe we heard about how in America whatever race you are whichever creed whatever go to America and you can become an American so long as you work hard you pay your respect you pay your taxes and you, you pay the respect to the culture and become an American uh, but today we've seen a shift in the American ideology towards focusing on ethnicity and this is a big big mistake because many of the people that have come from Africa for example I for one born and raised in Africa I know that very many of the Africans that came to the United States they're not at all sitting around on welfare in the United States they have high educations and they do excellent work in the US so it's not a question of race it's a question of values and it's a question of which values do you bring with you and very many of the Africans for example bring with them excellent values they're polite they're well educated and they come here to work and do proper jobs and very many of them come from a much stronger Christian congregations back in Africa than what you'll find their American counterparts having here. So I think the strife that we see today is a misguided, uh, uh, it's a situation that is a result of the misguided nation as to which values that are important uh, for a nation to have in order to survive and national unity and national identity for certain is one of them. No, you're absolutely right. And you, and you said that so well. I'm going to take a quick 
a snippet from your book here where you quote uh, from the class, Clash of Civilizations uh, where the Western countries fail to recognize uh, that democratic values like individualism also carry destructive tendencies. The fall of the West comes from within, the culture war's own or the culture's own moral decline. And then it goes on to talk about in your book the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And you go on to say, no matter if the civilization abandons, it abandons its own values, the precise values that led to its greatness, no matter how it deals with its minority groups, how much injustice goes unattended, no matter how many wars it initiates in foreign territories, somehow its elites still believe that its civilizations will always remain superior. And then you get into uh, the arrogance of the political leaders and uh, the, the quote, um, the arrogance of political leaders should be tempered and controlled. And that was a quote from Marcus Cicero in ancient Rome. And it's amazing to look at the parallels of, you know, the Roman civilization and, and the decline of the West. But I have to agree with you 100% that it is a fall from within. Once we moved away from the uh, biblical and Christian foundations, one of the things that made this country great was its Christian principles. And it seemed like the Declaration of Independence and Constitution aligned with those Christian principles. Well, even today, uh, the many people who consider themselves Christians in this country do not practice what is fundamentally uh, Christian. And I say this is the first and biggest problem that we have, is getting away from the values. And if I can just branch off here, you mentioned the reduction in children that the West is having. We've seen a number of reasons why, from people mentioning the added chemicals and processed foods in our diet to something that's not really considered a lot, which is abortion. And this also goes, the the abortion argument also goes to uh, the moral issue as well. How big of a problem is abortion in the culture war? Well, it's a major, it's a very logical, major problem in our culture. Uh, first and foremost, I, I would like to say that, of course, uh, we all understand that there are issues, women raped. I mean, you know, Christians should be the first to understand, too, and to have sympathy and empathy with women that end up in tragic situations, abused and, and all kinds of, you know, it's, 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 it, we're not talking about that, you know, but we're talking about the massive use of abortion as contraception. Contraceptive, uh, contraception for one. Secondly, we're talking about we have encouraged a type of feminism that has gone way beyond the first wave of feminism, which I would say I am very much for. When you look back at the 1910, um, 1920s, when the suffragettes spoke about the respect for the woman and, and wanted, you know, the women's right to vote and all of that, but they respected the women it was a, it was it wasn't a question of taking her out of the context of the family uh, which we saw in the 1970s the feminism we then got uh, started speaking about her freedom the woman's freedom only came to her once she was relieved from the pain and the burden of having a family and having a husband and and, and you know I mean that's that's a second thing that that that's produced this kind of culture of abortion when the women, when women don't marry anymore but go from man to man to man 
First of all, I don't understand how they can call that emancipation. We used to call that prostitution back in the day. You know, now it's all of a sudden emancipation for a woman to live alone, have children, no husband to help her out with the expenses and everything. So we become poor uh, through this system as well. No wonder women start thinking about having abortions. Look, we have a culture that has developed into, we have a negative view on the human being. And, and women don't want to bear forth the fruit of their own womb. Which culture is going to survive if its women doesn't want their own offspring? Talking about somebody killing somebody in the street and the two of them don't know each other or some gang related, but we're talking about a woman that doesn't want the offspring inside of her. So it's obvious that if this kind of culture continues in the West. I mean, it's a question of mathematics that other groups that are more childbearing and more child-loving are going to take over. And I really don't know what to say, but it looks like it's heading this way. And in the United States, too, we see, of course, the Latino population uh, coming from the South with, with, with all their babies and, and their, cult, their Catholic culture and all of that. I think, you know, they're bringing in, I think, more people speak Spanish now in the U.S. than English. Isn't that the case? It, it certainly seems that way. It does sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's kind of what I like to call the balkanization of our country. It seems like America, for uh, for example, we're being uh, intentionally, deliberately balkanized. And, and I know that you address that in your book, maybe not in those words, but certainly um, the idea of, of how this, um, well, this... And I want to be careful of the wording I use, but the, the, this mass unfettered invasion, especially since the immigration quotas were changed back in 1965, uh, or, or the whole immigration process, legal immigration process was changed back in 1965. And, and we've just seen this decline in cohesiveness of our society. Um, to- to be honest, if I may break in here, I, sure, I'm, not quite, I'm not quite certain that this decline coincides necessarily with immigration. Uh, I think, um, I think uh, that really what was the root cause for this Western decline was the Westerners themselves changing their values. And, and this is what also the book uh, describes quite uh, comprehensively, how we went ahead and changed our value system. You spoke before about the Roman Empire and the, and the decline of the Roman Empire. That's what we saw uh, in the end days of Rome. They stopped sending out the senators and, and the rich people in Rome stopped sending out their own sons to war and they contracted mercenary armies, much like the U.S. does now, uh, to a large degree and to extent the U.S. Army is privatized and, uh, and contra- private contractors that Blackwater and, and these people, they keep changing their names, obviously, but I mean, they're heavily into all kinds of wars, and, 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 and uh, it's, it, it's a system where, where it, they stayed in Rome and had their drinks and enjoyed, when you look at Hollywood today, my goodness, what kind of values do they portray any longer? So, the weakening from within is really um, what, what I'm, I'm looking at very much, 
uh, and as a result of the weakening of the Western, the traditional Western culture, uh, automatically you will have other peoples that will come in because they come in as the stronger force because uh, the values that once used to be strong in, in the Western culture are not strong anymore. And uh, I, I think it's uh, what they say in French, a fait accompli. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a dumb case. Um, when you go, uh, let me add, I came now here to the United States. I'm in Miami at the moment. I came flying in from Qatar, Doha. When you're in, and I travel a lot, I live in the Middle East and I've lived in South America and done extensive traveling in Asia. Whenever you go to Asia or China or whatever, I mean, look at the airports, Beijing, how it, it, it's, it's like a five-star airport everywhere. And Doha, it's like the best airports in the world. They're so rich, these Arabs, you know. And then when you come to the United States, it reminds you of the 1970. I came to Miami airport and a few years back, uh, L.A. and just this year also, uh, uh, New York, wherever you go, I mean, it's like going back into the 1970s. So there's a deterioration both on morality in the United States, the deterioration on quality of life. I think you have to go all the way back to 1987 to find the peak, the economic peak for the everyday family in the U.S. It's turning into a third world country before our very eyes. Uh, and I think that's the root cause of the problem. Look, go to Texas. You find most of the people working there are Mexicans. They're getting all the jobs. I don't know where the Americans are. Good point. And, and you are correct. Uh, and to that extent, I do stand corrected. So, so if I read you correct, and by the way, uh, our guest's book, The Culture War, absolute required reading. You can get it at Amazon or in the link on our description uh, the link within the description box, and she has several other uh, yes. uh, works. Uh, the book Alarm, uh, that's that's another one, and you can you can find all these on Amazon. There's there's a whole bunch of them. I got and a of on her website titles here and on the website. Yeah. Yes. So, so okay. So in in the case that you just mentioned, uh, it, it's and I had said, well, you know, the um, uh, immigration and in, in the alien invasion, I should say, uh, but you said no, it's the, um, the really at the core, it's the decline of values. And I, and I suppose what, what you're saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, when there's an absence of values, obviously something's got to fill that void, correct? And or or not, or or is it just the erosion of the values? Period. That um, no, I I think it's a question of survival of the fittest, and whoever is the fittest will survive, and we won't survive because we're not the fittest. We're not fit. You know, I mean, we, we like I say, we don't even love our own offspring. And, and looking at the Hollywood culture and, and, for example, the rampant drug abuse in the United States, it's amazing. Ninety percent of the heroin now comes from Afghanistan, which is a country that's pretty much controlled by the U.S. I mean, under the Taliban, it was forbidden to, to grow poppies in Afghanistan. How come now, after the U.S. comes and takes over that country, you know, now we're, we're soaring 90% of all the heroin in the world comes from that place. And I used to live in Brazil. My goodness, the favelas there, all they ever do is support drugs to the young people in the U.S. How come nobody stops it? Which mafia is running the U.S. nowadays? That's like a good question. Uh, you know, and, and uh, speaking of that, I mean, the 
irrelevance of the left or the right. I mean, regardless of who we vote for nowadays in the United States, you still get wars, wars, and wars. How come billions go to finance wars in the Middle East while the U.S. is rotting on roots here? You know, I mean, look at the inner city issues. Look at the issues in America today. I mean, the Christian, first and foremost, should be crying. We should all be crying our eyes out because we knew that this was not the way to go about it. And we were silent when we were supposed to do something. We're called to love one another here. And I mean, I'm not talking about atheists. They don't believe in God. Leave them alone. But where on earth are the Christian voices nowadays? They're silently watching all of this happening. They're watching all of these lone mothers with hard economies. Many of them don't even know what the the, the, you know what the words of Jesus Christ they don't even know the the deep deep rooted values that stem from Christianity in our culture uh, and I mean where are the Christians they seem to be completely silent and 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 joining the team of egoistic uh, uh, kind of materialistic uh, world view uh, praying to God to bless me bless me and make me rich make me rich what is this if i have money i'm supposed to in that case use that money to help my fellow human being you know so so sometimes i wonder too what happened to the christian communities in the united states and for sure we would have to put a large part of the blame for what's happened in the u.s on the christian leaders in the u.s where are they they should have spoken up and stopped this no, you're absolutely right, and I uh, couldn't agree with you more. And this is one of uh, you know something that we talk about on the show just all the time. It is uh, a multi-pronged attack, and, and on this topic of Christianity, uh, you know, we see the I, I call it the spirit of the Antichrist that we have seen really sweep across America, and it's as you said, impacted the churches more than anyone else. It's not the the atheists or the agnostics. It is the church. The church is still, uh, you know, very charitable and, and does a lot, but compared to the resources it has today versus a hundred years ago, we've seen such a decline. The church has uh, failed to show up. Not even failed to show up. The church has, has gutted itself of its own, uh, morals and foundations in, in order to conform to the world. And it has been self-destructing. It's been neutered in this country for such a long time. And I think that has come through uh, complacency through, uh, you know, having an easy life. When you look throughout the scriptures, you know, the people who used to, uh, the apostles and the, and the first church, I mean, they, everybody, they say, you know, they turned the world upside down. They changed everything. And with the little to no resources, and we have all the resources in the world and change nothing today. And this is where the heart of the problem is. But also on top of that, as you have the, the church in self-destruct mode, you have this other force that is doing any and everything it can to demonize Christians and Christianity to where, uh, you know, you see any, any criticism of Islam is Islamophobia or you have the anti-Semitic or this or that. But nobody ever talks about the attacks on Christians and, and the, the belief system of Christians. It's almost, it, it's not even politically correct to be Christian anymore. It's the opposite in this country. Uh, they look down on it as some sort of uh, racist and an old guard. And this is the effectiveness of the enemy. And 
Yes, and, and this is also the fault of, of the Christians themselves, because as this progressed and started to happen, you know, people should have spoken up. And this is one of the reasons why why I would encourage everybody to read this uh, book, The Culture War, uh, as well, because it is an in-depth analysis on the post-war from World War II and onward mainly. I mean, it goes back to Nietzsche and, and uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the let's say the late 1800s and explains in a very easy language what happened and how we got to this point where we slowly slowly eradicated uh, some of the, the, the good values we used to have and came into this new system believing that it would better society. I honestly think that many of the socialists and the people that went into this they believed in solidarity they wanted a better society and they saw much of the hypocrisy that went on in the, both the Christian and the bourgeoisie, as they say in Europe. You know, I mean, the, the upper middle classes and the ruling classes uh, in the 1800s, they saw they were all Christians, but they saw that, you know, so much of the power play that went on was not right and, 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 and everything, and they wanted to get a better society, and this was the reason for them to make this attempt uh, that we saw with the 1968 revolutions, very strongly, free love, free sex, everything. They thought this would help society become better uh, to get the abortion and all of that. That would free the woman from the man and she would no longer be his slave and and all of this that they're all into. And and many men back in the day, many Christian men were really horrible too towards their wives and their wives had to endure a lot of pain and and strife and all kinds of things. So they were right in, in stating that there were mistakes in the old world, but I think that the pendulum has swung to the other extreme, that's my point, and it's gone to the extreme now that we idealize a society and a way of life that's really anti-human, you know, it's anti-family, it's anti-really the woman, you know, it brings it brings us women back to a kind of victimized situation where we're offended by everything, we feel so weak and we feel so shallow, we feel that all the men hate us and all of that, which is a figment of our imagination because that's not really the truth of the matter. So, 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 so it's, 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 it's a compelling situation and it's a, a sharply, a sharp cultural decline uh, that, that's really appalling to watch. And, and I really hope that we would be able to do something about it, but I don't know whether it's gone too far or not. And in many ways, I think it's good that Christians now become a little bit persecuted because they've been so complacently sitting around and being popular and all of that. Okay, let's see now who's willing to give their life. You know, let's see now who's willing to go against the politically correct because we need a generation of young men and women who are willing to actually stand up and say, you know what, I do have a different opinion than CNN. You know, I mean, we're perfectly aware of the fact that now over 90% of the American media is owned by six corporations, and half of those corporations own the weapon industry in the U.S., you know, and the Federal Reserve here is, is partly privatized and everything. We know how the money-making in Washington now, the rich people fund the Democratic Party and the rich people fund the, the, the Republican Party. Whether you get John McCain or you get Hillary Clinton is exactly the same deal. So, so I mean... There's 
just an erosion of democracy in the United States. Too. Nobody cares about the people anymore. It's all about the ultra-rich and what they can get out of their business deal. And that's why we hear this and that on CNN and all of that. And you're allowed to have one opinion. Well, somebody has to rise up and say, you know what? I believe in something else. And I disagree with the politically correct. And to take these matters up in parties, when they go to, I don't know, nightclubs, when they go to bars, go and speak to people everywhere, talk to people, because there's an army among the, uh, among the people in, in both America and in Europe that are so sick and tired of this political correctness, and they really want our values back. They want to be able to speak up and say, for God's sake, I'm not a racist. I'm trying here to respect everybody, and I'm trying to pull out good values so we'll have good marriages again, so we can have satisfied children, so we can have, you know, good schools, and we can have something else than the drug industry and, 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 and the rampant uh, uh, loss of values that we see today because everybody suffers from it. We all suffer from this. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, now, having said that, do you feel that we're at a point, and you've traveled the world, do the Christians, do the citizens, do the young people in America, do you feel that, that we will see uh, anyone? I mean, what's it going to take for for the Christians and for the young people and for the, the people who are sick and tired of, of the exact situation that you described? What's it going to take for, for us, for the Americans who feel, again, the way you described, to rise up? And, and do you see it happening? Do you, uh, no, I don't really see it happening, actually. I couldn't say so. Uh, I, I find it, um, it, it just, let me compare with uh, the rest of the world, to put it that way. In China, they have soon 200 million Christians. Uh, in Africa, that religion is booming all over the place. In the Middle East, of course, we have the whole region of Islam, and uh, many of us forget that the Middle East was uh, was Christian nations before Islam came in the year 600, 700, 800 after Christ. So also in the Muslim, what we call the Muslim world, there's millions and millions and millions of Christians, and, and, and I speak to a lot of them since I live much in the Middle least and these are people that really stand for something they stand for something in the South America they stand for something you know they, they, they're not afraid to speak up about their faith so I think um, that that in Russia for example it's a big big paradox man after uh, the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union fell they have really re-strengthened their cultural identity uh, towards Christianity and over 70% of the Russian people now go to church every week and they're crying and praying you see them in Jerusalem they come and throw themselves in front of the feet of the Christ you know and cry and pray in their own cultural way it's a little bit different from us Protestants obviously and, and Catholics as well but so, so, so I think um, I think that uh, the, the, the state of the matter in, in, in the West is 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 um, is, is um, I would say so self-contained. Christians in the West 
seem to be so they're so silent you know they they don't dare to speak up and and many i think in the in the congregations don't learn much uh of of true faith anymore either i i would like to recommend the actor jim caviezel uh from the passion of the christ and 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 mel gibson and that crew for for many many young people to follow them and and to learn a little bit about uh apologetics how to how to defend the faith but in order to be strong in the faith you have to be willing also to die for the faith so i think many young people also need to get a grip and and think you know what Uh, am i really willing to be a christian and if i am let me stand up and begin to love the people around me because that's what required from us from the christ jesus says why do you call me lord lord and you don't do what i tell you to do so it's a requirement for us to go and do what he tells us to do slowly slowly little by little uh, and listen to the inner voice and to be guided by the inner small voice i think there's an army waiting to be risen up in the united states uh, very well said. I want to ask you this, uh, to speak on this a little bit. It's a subtitle or a subchapter in your book, The Power of the Mind and the Will to Change. Can we talk about this a little bit? Yes, sure. Because uh, you, you just were talking about, you know, you don't see the, the Christians uh, speaking up. We don't see, in, in, from the complacency of the church uh, to the silence of the church, it is, uh, it's very hard. And a lot of people, I think, are willing to do something they want to do something but they don't know where to begin and at least for me myself i I, i've gone through uh changes in times of my life where you know you the one day you say something and you say it proud and then the next day you think oh what am i doing and you have those those moments of self-doubt but one of the things that uh you learn is that you are able to become more and more bold and and do a lot of things if you're willing to step outside your comfort zone and that also has to do with a lot of uh not only uh, things that you do behaviorally, but the thought process that it goes through. Uh, what have you found out about uh, how powerful the mind is and how we can really change things if we put our mind to doing so? Uh, this is so true, and let, let me get at it from an, uh, another angle, because first and foremost, I think that many Christians are not aware, and very many in the West are not aware today of the impact that Christianity actually had on our culture. They're not aware, and I describe that very well in in, in the book, too, so it's a good tip, because if you read that book, uh, The Culture War, you get, you'll get all the good points as to what Christianity has done and, and what kind contributions really uh, you know first of all we speak about the middle ages as if they were the dark ages they were not the dark ages at all uh, read the book and find out all the interesting things that happened in the middle ages how the convents and and in Europe were the centers of learning and the early universities actually that evolved to become universities later read how the concept of equality that the, the, the thought that, that thought, you know that that each person regardless of creed, sex, or origin, or, you know, class, whatever, has a unique worth. This is something that the Christianity brought into the Western culture. Look at the radical view that Jesus had on women. He spoke to women, and the Jews at that time were really, really appalled with him, saying, why do you let that woman touch you? Why do you speak with these women? He spoke to women of low class. I mean, he really reached out 
to the poor and to the people that other people didn't like. Those who were considered of poor standing or poor, you know, reputation or whatever, those were the, he went to parties. He went and engaged. They called him, uh, uh, you know, criticized him for eating too much and whatever. Why is he hanging out with these people in these parties? What was Jesus doing in the parties? He was speaking, making water to wine and all of that. He was speaking to all, he was engaging actively in society. And this is one of the elements that we see within the Western Church today, especially the Protestant Church, they don't particularly enjoy going out of the church circuit. They, they're in church on Sunday singing hallelujah, but what happens when when you're out there in, in, in your weekly days? How do you, you know, I mean, my worship is really how I treat people throughout the week. That's what you can judge me on. And even Christ himself says that when we come to judgment day, what is he going to say? Look, I was hungry. You never fed me. I was in prison. You never gave me. You never came to visit me. I didn't have clothes and you never clothed me. And we're going to, you know, people are going to tell him, where, when did we see whatever you did to one of the smallest and this? is the clue. This is what we all can do in our everyday life. Whoever you find to be the smallest, the smallest thing, the elderly lady, the young child, taking the time to speak with a young person for 10 minutes, educating yourself on apologetics, how to, and start spending some time to meditate on on the Word of God every day. Take that time and start to open your eyes and pray every day. What can I do to do to, to, to open my eyes to see what I'm supposed to do during this day that will bring bring glory to you? Because I think there's a marvelous power within the the, the, the Christian segment for the ability to start to love one another again. And even in Europe, some of the strongest and strictest atheists, such as Jürgen Habermas, you know, he's been one of the big, big secularists in Europe. He now states that it was a mistake for the secular states to remove the Christian element because as they removed the religious element, this element was precisely the element that had the ability to motivate individuals to love one another and to do kind, be kind to one another. And if we lose the kindness and we all turn into a selfish group, uh, you know, the whole democracy falls apart and the state turns into anarchy. So, so there's a lot, it, but it's so easy because it's an everyday thing. It's just to start by the small things every day and knowing that those very, very small things, it doesn't need to be a big thing. Just change a little bit in your everyday structure and it will be a movement just within weeks. You know, I, I, as you, as you speak, the words resonate with me and I know with all of our listeners. And it just reminded me of, of that old, um, saying that the, the question, you say you're, you know, for example, um, you proclaim to be a Christian, but if you were placed on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And, and I, I sense that that's what, what you're saying is, you know, we, we proclaim that we're Christians. But we don't act like it. We don't engage in the day. We, we, we certainly don't follow the role that uh, Jesus Christ has set out for us, and that, of course, is 
you know, we need to, we need to do that, of course, to reclaim the ground that we have lost by our inaction. And I just think it's so valuable. I think that the information yeah. that you gave us is just so valuable. Our, our guest, The Culture War is the book. Our guest, of course, is Hannah Herland. Visit her website also. Uh, certainly purchase her book. The links are in the program description. Go ahead, Joe. You're right. I, yeah, and, and just to add to that about, uh, you know, if there was enough, if you were put on trial uh, for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to, to convict you? That, it's that, but also the, what, what, um, you just said about the, uh, actions, the littlest actions uh, you take on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, so you go out of your way to talk to somebody or to say hi or whatever it is, uh, can lead you know, you do that each and every day, and that can lead to much bigger and greater changes and bigger impacts. But unfortunately, for, I would say for a majority of, of people, uh, especially in America and in American churches, um, it, it seems like they're they're just stuck in this. Uh, it, they're stuck playing religion. It's not real to them as far as living it. And we see this throughout the scriptures, uh, all over the place. And in, in, in the quote you just referenced about Jesus, it's almost instead of. Uh, being the Christian, it's paying lip service to the religion, and I think people need to actually be what they what they believe in and proclaim. Yes, and and it's uh, if we and and of course the book the culture war also addresses that and 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 defines that. Uh, but but it's a question too about what do you want to be? Do you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ or do you want to be a Pharisee? Uh, you know, as we know, that's that's the name. That's what they used to call the the Christians of the day. Let's say when 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 Jesus lived, and because they knew all the scriptures of verses from the Bible, and they knew how to quote each and every you know verse, and they knew how to speak for hours about this and that. And when they prayed, they prayed and prayed and prayed to the point Jesus says, "You know what? It's not really the length of the prayer. It's not really your." your your ability to quote 100,000 scriptures, that doesn't make you, you know, a, 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 a follower of Christ. And, and, and the, pe- the precise people that caused the most problems for Jesus when he was walking this earth in his sandals down there in, in, in the Middle East, uh, brown skin as he had, you know. I mean, he was a Middle Eastern guy. We tend to picture him as the white Jesus, yeah, with the blonde hair and the blue eyes. This was like a like a dark-skinned uh, person walking around in his sandal, being quite poor and all of that. You know, I mean, it's a question: Do we want to follow his values? Mahatma Gandhi uh, stated it profoundly, really quite well when he came to Africa and said he he, he saw all the churches in Africa. And he went to many of them, and, and he said that, you know, the teaching of Jesus Christ is the most important teaching, something like to this, you know, that's what he said. One of the greatest teachers, I would really like to follow him, but I'm discouraged when I see his disciples, uh, because they don't practice what they preach. So I think, too, that very many of us really have gone into becoming Pharisees, really. We we stand, uh, you know, in the courtyard saying, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not 
like this sinner down here. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this, uh, you know, some people we look at. I thank you that I'm a believer and I'm not like these unclean people. Like, like we have the right to say who's clean and who's not clean. We have become the judges in the world saying, I'm Christian and these people are lost. Who am I to say? I should really watch my mouth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, who oh, knows? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's the question of Christian hypocrisy is at the root of these issues, really. Absolutely. And uh, our guest is Hanu Herland. Her book, The Culture War, How the West Lost, lost Its Greatness and Was Weakened from Within. And the, uh, the Harland Report also, uh, you can Herland go there. The report. Herland Report. Yeah. And, I, and I want to say, just want to say this, uh, Ms. Herland, we have gotten a, just a tremendous number of emails just saying how right you are. And uh, just a, just a tremendous response. So I would just urge everyone who does not have her book, The Culture War, to do, uh, to go on Amazon to buy it and to read it. In fact, give it to your pastor as well. It, There's so a, much here. I mean, it's a fantastic read. Go ahead, Joe. No, it, it really is. We only have about uh, two and a half minutes left. Any other uh, suggestions on how we can? Uh, to, to turn this around into a more positive direction, you talked about the you know embracing the the Christian values uh, of love and uh, and and brotherhood. But what, what about uh, some of the more secular things? We see this huge political divide not only in America. I mean, in America, it's really bad right now, but it's all, it's it's throughout the West in, in as a whole in general. What are some of the things we can do to uh, to to bring people back together to where? into a place of unity to, to solve problems from there instead of trying to solve problems from each side of the aisle, which whoever can yell louder. I basically think that much of the Christian communities, or the, of course not not all, but I'm speaking uh, generalized on a whole, uh, comparing the Western Church or the Church in the West to the Church in the East, for example, I think that we've become politically correct, all of us. And uh, through that, we have lost much of the power. And the politically correct um, thing to do these days is to hate one another and to slander one another and speak ill of one another and, and, you know, basically gossip all kinds of things, read all kinds of magazines with all kinds of slander and gossip and watch all kinds of ugly stuff that comes out of Hollywood. Whatever happened to Hollywood, man? They used to have historical films and lovely stuff that we could watch now. You can't hardly watch a Hollywood movie. I mean, so 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 there there really needs to be a a, um, a surge, and 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 I think each person needs to think through. We, we I mean, my life ends soon. We live here only a few years. We're not like here forever. We're here for a very short time, and we just need to to decide what do I want to do. And there was one message that we were left by the great leader, that Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, called Jesus and 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 that was you we are to love God and to love one another and I think the greatest remedy for the hatred both uh, hatred between the races in the United States today white hating black and black hating white and all of that the war in the family uh, the war in the church and the war among church leaders too I mean do they fight over whether it's right to baptize this way or that way or whatever and refuse to go in each other's congregations and all were called to love one another Amen. And in as we love one another, this 
is the strongest power in the universe and it's so simple for all of us because it's just every day sitting down meditating saying help me to love my brother today amen this is Honey. where the revolution lies Hanu, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much. Our guest, Hanu Herlin, the book, The Culture War. Make sure you go to Amazon and get this. It was a fantastic hour. I hope we can have you back on. Yes, I'll be glad to be with you another time. Thank you so awesome. very much. Hanu Herlin, uh, her, her website, of course, just go to the program description. We are out of time for this hour. Gonna be right back. Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. You know, if it's Tuesday, you know it's Stan Deo, standeo.com. He's coming up, and uh, what a tremendous man of inf- a lot of information he's got, both on on the uh, uh, the Earth and and the Earth changes, the science of of the Earth, the space, uh, looking out what's taking place, weather wise, uh, climate wise as well as geopolitically. So he's a man for all seasons, shall we say. So he's going to, he's coming up. And as I started off too, I, I really pay attention, folks, to the soft coup that's taking place in this country. I would urge everyone just to keep on top of that because I believe that's still going on. And it's just so much information out there. It's, it's headline overload out there. But one thing, with all of the headlines, with all of the stuff that you got to pay attention to, you know what I like to do? I like to eat well. And it's, it's even more important to eat, not just eat well, well, to eat well, but, but to, um, I, I like to spend the family time, time with the family, sit down with my wife and have a great meal. And you know what's even better? When you have a chance to stand next to her and help her cook or she helps you cook, depending on who the cook is in the family, HelloFresh has made it absolutely a delight for all of us. Let me tell you about HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just simply cook, eat, and enjoy. You know, there's no waste at all. The pre-measured ingredients, one of the in my view, one of the best ideas ever. The convenience is unmatched. You can actually choose your your delivery day for when it works the best for your busy schedule. And if you're going on vacation or if you're leaving for vacation, you can actually pause your account for weeks at a time when you're out of town. I love it because all of the ingredients, as I said, become become pre-measured and handy labeled meal kits. Even I can't screw this up. So, so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. Now, the overall benefits are so many. HelloFresh makes it so easy to cook delicious, balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. And, and I mean that you you will save money with HelloFresh. I know that we have. And you can feel confident when cooking HelloFresh with these simple recipes outlined on a pictured step-by-step step instruction card that, that you can keep, you can file. Uh, it's just fantastic. Their selection is unmatched. They offer a wide variety of chef, chef curated recipes. It changes every week. You'll never get bored. They've got three plans to choose, choose from as well. They've got the classic, the veggie, and the family plans. You're not going to be 
I mean, it's simple. You're not going to be spending all night in the kitchen because recipes only take around 30 minutes to cook. Sometimes I wish it was longer. I love spending that time with my wife as we as we cook in the kitchen. In fact, there is a picture of me in a HelloFresh apron cooking one of the meals with my wife. It's great. And, and you know, some of the recipes, Hall of Fame customer voted favorite Juicy Lucy burger with tomato, onion, jam, and arugula uh, salad. Oh, just uh, fantastic. They've got a premium selection for uh, dinnertime upgrade, lobster ravioli and shrimp with tomatoes and tarragon cream sauce. I've never tasted uh, that, really. The, the That meal was one of our favorites at the Hagman household. Now, here's the deal. Go to HelloFresh.com. We've got a ver- very special uh, offer for you. The, the folks at HelloFresh have, have really given us a very, very special offer. Only accessible if you're listening to this program. That's right. Go to HelloFresh.com and make your selection. All right. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, simply visit HelloFresh.com and enter our promo code, which is Hagman30. Don't forget, two ends on Hagman. That's Hagman30. One more time, that's for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com, enter our program code Hagman30. One more time, HelloFresh.com, promo code Hagman30 for $30 off of your first week of HelloFresh. You're going to be sending me emails and thanking me. Again, the most convenient, the most delicious, well-balanced, meal plan service on the planet. I love this. My wife loves this. We we do practice what we preach. We eat the food. We we've got and, and it's fun by the way. Those meals are great. Oh man. You know I've got a I've got a kick uh sometimes I've got to wrestle Joe and, and Eric to the ground to get them away from the food because it's just uh you know it is so the uh, the diversity of the ingredients and, and the uh and the meals that make it so good and um, there's always I mean, right. the, the menus that you can put together uh, for the special dietary needs and stuff. It is really helpful and, and it is delicious. You know what? And that's the thing. It's when you said diversity of, of the meals, it is exciting because we found ourselves before going to the store and just, well, what do you want to have tonight? What do you want to eat this week? Oh, I don't know. We do the Man, same it's, thing. All, it's all planned. And you, you go to the store, you buy like a huge package of hamburger, a huge package of chicken and the other stuff and you get in your routines. And then before you know it, you're eating the same meal. And it's like, know, yeah. And then, uh, you hello fresh the, boy. Hello fresh.com. Hagman 30 is the promo code $30 off. You're right though, Joe. It's, it's just, you get in that. And, mm-hmm. but, but hey, when the snow's seven feet out, like it, uh, seven feet high, when it was like this before, have it delivered right to your door. You can't beat that. That's right. All right, we have our guest with us, Stan Deo from StanDeo.com. That's the website. Go there and bookmark it. And when he comes on our show, there's a show images button on the right hand side of the microphone, on the right hand side of the page, underneath the microphone. So go there and open the show images page. Uh, Stan, it's great to have you back on. Oh, uh, well, yeah, look, I just got back from the front door. Some food arrived, I think, up there. I'm going to go up to the kitchen. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, it made me hungry listening to all that. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's fabulous because, uh, uh, well, the recipes are just uh, incredible. Uh, didn't I make you hungry? I hope I made you hungry. I'm you hungry. did. You I'm did. Hungry. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a thing that, the, as you say, the, the husband and wife can do together. It's one of those activities that has a lot of rewards. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, so, so what's new in your world? What's new in your world, Stan? Well, um, still fighting off this stupid pneumonia, um, but uh, I'm getting better, I think. Just toward the evening, it kind of kills me. But other than that, um, I've been trying to catch up on a number of uh, things and research. Uh, and the EMP Shield business, um, we're having to add some more models to the uh, the uh, EMP Shields for larger scale uh, solar uh, activities. You know, solar collectors. Um, we'll be putting those up uh, later this week. Uh, boy, it's been a lot of work getting that thing off the ground, getting all the the factories and stuff organized, but it's now starting to flow. So your listeners, when they put Hagman into their orders there, uh, have them do that so they can get that $50 discount on all these orders that uh, are the units that they do order. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Now, and, yeah. and thank you for that. I, I, we know I mean, that's very generous of you uh, for Hagman listeners. Thank you. That's very generous. And, and folks, I would I would take advantage of that. My goodness. And some listeners have, and we'd love to hear yeah. back, uh, you know, from uh, your experiences. Um, the ease of installation, it seems. I mean, it seems to to be pretty, pretty simple, pretty easy, pretty straightforward. It is. It is. Um, we just had no idea that there were going to be so many applications for it. Uh, Tim, uh, you know, the, my partner did most of the work on that. He's uh, been designing stuff uh, for European large uh, installation, you know, power installation stuff like that. It's just. Uh, uh, we just didn't realize that so many people wanted that. Uh, I'm surprised. I've talked to a few people, you know, radio hosts in the past week, uh, like yourself, and they were telling me about how many other listeners had no idea really what an EMP attack was, what it did. And, you know, I was astounded. I, I explained, uh, you know, what I need to tell them because um, I think they have a misconception about it. But uh, the, the whole idea of EMP attacks uh, by nukes is to generate an electromagnetic wave, a real fast pulse that wipes out most electronics, you know, radios, TVs, uh, diesel generators, solar panels, that kind of stuff, unless they're protected with some kind of a shield, which we've designed. And uh, I realized that we need to send people over to um, our, our main website there, uh, the uh, myempshield.com all run together and have people click on the resources page and read all those links we've got there to uh, myths about the EMPs, uh, you know, uh, what is true, what is not. Uh, for instance, one of the things that, that amazed me when I started reading all this documentation was that about 85% of the cars in the United States, um, well, elsewhere as well, but about 85% of the cars will not be uh, destroyed, will not be you know, short-circuited by an EMP pulse. They will go off, they will turn off, but you just turn the key and turn it back on. We always thought that it had to be no computers on board and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, the newer cars that don't have as much metal in the frame may be problematic, but for those, we're, we've already got a 12-volt uh, EMP shield thing put across their battery, and, uh, you know, that'll protect their car. But there are just a lot of things like that that people worry about. You know, do I put my whole house into a Faraday cage? No, we've got a solution for that. You plug the unit in. But uh, go to that uh, myempshield.com and click on the resources page, and there is a ton of information there that you can link to 
and read and get educated on this, and then you won't be quite so panic-stricken about an EMP pulse attack, except that it will wipe out the grid, which supplies you the power. All your stuff will still work, but you won't have any power. But then you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do for a power supply, You know whether you're going to have solar or wind. And I do have a link up today on the Show Images page, uh, image 56, which takes you over to a really nice uh, site, uh, which has uh, alternative energy news on it. I think they have many, nearly 160 or something like that types of alternate energy sources, you know, links to inventions, links to companies. But this one here is a picture, and it is rather interesting. It's a big glass globe, uh, you know, that focuses solar energy down onto chips. It's quite efficient, apparently, but uh, it caught my eye when I read through the, the news today. And so there are two links on that. There's the first link there at 56, and then it says, and in white, other energy inventions. And it takes you to a list of all the other energy inventions that they have on that uh, site. Uh, it's worth your time to read that, I think, and look at the pros and cons of different kinds of wind generators. Um, they've got some that are like uh, Tesla-type turbines without uh, blades, you know, and how efficient they may or may not be is another question, but they've got that, and they've got dual-blade wind turbines, which are about 20% more efficient than the normal wind turbines. Just a lot of stuff like that. If you're going to buy that kind of power, you know, backup power for your house, I think it'd pay you to read this uh, website, uh, the uh, Alternative uh, Energy uh, News. It's alternative-energy-news, but if you just click on that, uh, on those two links at the bottom of that, Sounds good. That, yeah. Hey, have you? I'm just curious because with um, the the threat of the nuclear, well, the nuclear threat, have you been getting? And you don't have to answer this, but have you been getting any inquiries from government agencies about your device? Not officially, uh, not directly. Um, my my son works with an oil company uh, over in Louisiana, and they deal with the army on a particular kind of thing they make for the Army, and they are going to have a look at this for those applications. Uh, we've been kind of hesitant to, to have, you know, government orders at the moment, because typically they they order large amounts of something, and you have to put up the money to make it, give it to them, and then wait 90 days to get paid. We're just too small to, to do that, so we'll have to work out something when they come knocking, but okay. I'm sure they will. Our device is better than, you know, the ones they've got, so... Okay, yeah, I was just curious. Okay. Yeah, Sounds well, like. you know, I, I, I would welcome that as long as we can, you know, do it. I mean, as it is, <laughs> the, the, the civilian orders are going to be problematic, the volume of them, but uh, we're, we're going to handle it here. Second week of February, we're going to be able to do 10,000 units a week, which will take the load off of us. Man, that's amazing. Uh, I just, uh, it's difficult almost for me to comprehend that. Um, that, that's a lot of units, and that, that's a lot of well. That's just a lot of units. Well, we're good. using we're using subcontractors to do some of it that have robots that you know these robotic uh, assembler things. They call them pick and place machines, mm-hmm. and uh, that will help us uh, get a lot of the work done. The the work needs to be extremely accurate, and uh, that uh, uh, that's being organized now. Then we've already got agreements in place to do that, and then all we've got to do is boxes and and, uh, and potting them and a few other things and. We can, we have staff that we can do that with, and uh, I guess we're helping to 
of President Trump's increase in employment out there in Kansas. (laughs) 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 Uh, You have to laugh, but anyway, yeah. Oh, hey, on that line, you know that thing uh, last Saturday in Hawaii where they had the the fake uh, alert for the men coming in? That's where both Joe and I were just going to ask you about. Let's get into this, because there was another one in Japan today, Stan. Oh, I didn't hear that. Well, yeah. Yeah, what, really what, what happened with that one? Tell me about that one. Okay, well, this is uh, there was an article up on RT earlier, <clears throat> but this uh, from Drudge and Yahoo. The uh, days after Hawaii alert, Japan issues false alarm about a missile launch. This talks about the uh, Jap- uh, Japanese public broadcaster NHK, and they issued a false alarm about a North Korean missile launch on Tuesday, just days after the one in Hawaii caused panic. It's not immediately clear what triggered the mistake. They said they are still checking. But uh, twice in, in a matter of days, in two countries, Japan and now America, issuing false warnings about North Korea launching a missile. I don't believe it's a mistake at all, Stan. Uh, I don't even think you can make a mistake like that with through the alert systems. But now that we see this Japan thing, it's either some kind of message. People believe that they could be gauging responses. Other people believe that there actually were missiles launched. So there's a lot of confusion as to what's really going on. Well, Hawaii didn't get a missile launch anyway. They, it was fake. But um, as a, a, a result, of, we've got a friend over there that's now become an affiliate for the EMP Shield sales over there. He said He's a Christian fellow. And he said he went outside his house when the alarm was still valid, you know, with a 30-minute period. And there were people in the streets kneeling and praying to God because they they reckon it was their time. As they say, there's no atheist in a foxhole. That was very common over, over Oahu during that 30-minute period. So it was a wake-up call to them to you know kind of get their life in order, which I think was just great. Secondly, of course, it was a small population, only 1.3 million people over there on that island. Um, but yet, it was if it was a test case, and I say you yeah, have. What it did was it sent through the news worldwide, uh, folks, you better get ready because something may be about to happen. Get your house in order, get ready to, you know, survive uh, the onslaught and what comes after. And I thought, well, now if you were, say, the U.S. government uh, and Japanese now, if you wanted to get your people, um, get them, get their attention and get them motivated to make preparations to rebuild or to uh, endure what is coming with this because of you know, nuclear exchanges between major powers and North Korea, then what better way than to have a quote-unquote fake accidental uh, release of uh, an alert like that. And, you know, when you hear those alarms go off like that, it does make your blood pump. And I talked to my friend over there just after it happened in the evening on Saturday, and, and he was still shaking in his voice. He said he gathered the family together in the living room, and they got together and prayed and got ready to die. Um, and it does focus your attention what needs to be done you know food uh, water um you know and you know uh, alternate power that's not uh, zapped by an mp I, I don't know that north korea can do an mp pulse even from those satellites but maybe so those are things that you need to look at power protect your electronic devices food water water being most critical i think and uh, then some way to uh, to prepare it all you know whether it be uh, you know fuels, you know, fossil fuels you store or, you know, solar power, whatever. But I think that whole thing on Saturday was quite possibly a wake-up call, a subtle, soft wake-up call to the population of the United States and other countries to get ready for what's about to happen without panicking everybody, really. And to have it happen in Japan, as you were just telling me, I just think 
the uh, no, I, I agree, Stan. And we got an email uh, from a listener who pointed us in the direction of a meeting apparently McMaster had over the weekend about North Korea. I think it was in San Francisco, and I haven't had a chance to to look into that. But I think they were saying there's some connection from that alert to the uh, meeting, but I, I don't know. But what are the procedures for alerts to go out over these emergency management systems? They made it sound as though it was just the, uh, the accidentally pressing the wrong button, and we believe it's much more complicated than that. And also, uh, in Hawaii, they reported that there were no injuries or anything uh, that happened uh, negative to the people. Obviously, that was a lie. There's stories about people getting hurt, and from cuts and bruises to heart attacks, and other things that were a direct result of this, but I don't know, Stan, is, is, is this, um, well, is, I, do you see I, anything political in this? Well, possibly, but uh, I, I have a contact inside National Guard over there uh, on the island, and I'm waiting for a report back from, from, uh, from uh, him, but um, um, what can be reported or what can be shared without, you know, breaking the security agreements that he's got, but um, it, uh, the National Secret Act or whatever, there apparently it is not that easy. There are safeguards in place, so it does tend to make me think that this was intentionally done accidentally. If you get my drift, <laughs> um, I will know more probably by uh, tomorrow or the next day uh, as uh, information comes back that uh, we're allowed to share. Um, the I saw on the news uh, of the Saturday night or Saturday morning event over there that. One set of parents had uh, started. They were putting their their young child down a manhole cover down, you know, into the the, the cement um, like waterways down there to uh, protect them from the blast. Right? And you'd think, oh, well, that's a good idea. But if it were a nuclear blast, even a small yield one, it would vaporize the water in those tunnels and shoot steam out of all those manhole covers. Of course, kill everybody in the process down there. So sometimes you have to kind of really think hard about what's going to happen, you know, ahead of time, so you don't make the mistakes that could kill you. Like putting somebody well, in the storm drain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've, hard I've seen movies thing. where they had, uh, you know, somebody robbing a bank or something, and they detonated an explosive down in the sewers, and, uh, you know, you saw a manhole cover blasting up uh, into the air with the jets of water underneath them just from <laughs> that. But if you put a nuclear, you know, thermonuclear bomb and release that much heat energy in, into the target... It's going to produce heat that will just blast out steam and water through all the underground conduits. So just hmm. kind of plan in advance and, and don't be making a you know a quick mistake. Well, now, I think okay. I just I have a question though. To, now, to your knowledge, Stan, the emergency management system, and I just want to be clear on this. Uh, make sure I'm clear on this. The at the level of that alert, that was the responsibility solely. I believe from the state emergency management, although it was a federal announcement, I, I believe, right? It was from uh, would, would be from FEMA. It was a state um, operation or uh, action. Yeah. The, okay. I, I guess that's my question. It was it was at the state level, not the federal level. Purely a Hawaiian, the state of Hawaii was responsible for what happened, right? Do you know what the Japanese message was? Is there be what did it say? Yeah, I will uh pull it up here, but I believe it uh said a, a missile was launched from North Korea. Uh let me see here. Okay, the alert went out. 
North Korea appears to have launched a missile. The mm. government urges people to take shelter inside buildings or underground. So similar to what? Yeah, you know, it, it, we're, we're friends with the Japanese. Maybe they have the same early warning system set up that uh, we have. Maybe we sold it to them. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I don't know. It's it's uh maybe the guy was transferred uh, to Japan. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding, but. Well, wow. you know, remember, Doug, uh, when we were young, uh, we did have, you know, alerts on the TV and radio and stuff. This is a test of the federal emergency oh, yeah. warnings, you know, yeah, and it's just a test. And then you hear that tone for 30 seconds or a minute, and then you get back to normal broadcast. But yep. uh, we're, and, and we're back to those cover. days. Very interesting. Yeah. The uh, going under your desk, you're against the wall if you're in school. I remember that. Duck uh, and cover. Yeah. I think uh, this false alarm, especially in Hawaii, will have a lot of people rethinking their emergency plans and, and bug-out plans, Dan. I think you'll have, I, I hope, a lot of people who experience, you know, the terror and uncertainty of those 38 minutes will sit down and, and figure something out to be much better, better prepared in case something like that happens again. So hopefully it will be used well, in a positive way to yeah. change things. Yeah, but, but Sam, let me ask you, is there, from your experience, lifelong experience and, and exposure, 38 minutes seems like a whole long time. I mean, somebody, you would think that somebody would be on the phone to, uh, I don't know, you know, whoever pressed that button, so to speak, saying, hey, <laughs> Would you just do? Uh, but 38 minutes? Yeah, you'd think so, because even if it was, as they said, a shift change where Mr. Miyagi, uh, that's a, a <laughs> funny name, Okinawan uh, name, you know, remember? Uh, mm-hmm, karate yeah. yeah. Uh, we laughed when we heard that, but Mr. Miyagi uh, pushes a button by accident and goes off shift, and the next guy comes in, and they didn't hear it, they didn't unpush the button. You're right. I mean, 38 minutes sounds like it's there to be sure that the message gets out there. And uh, it did. It did. And uh, I think if I were in charge of uh, U.S. defense and I was about to make a decision that would bring us into nuclear threat from North Korea or China or Russia, that I couldn't come out officially and say, okay, everybody, uh, duck and cover, get ready. It's about to happen. I'm going to push a button. Because when you do that, you're telling the enemy what you're about to do. And you're also going to cause panic across the country. So one of the safest ways I could think I could do it would be to have an accident like this. And, um, you know, then then people that are going to pay attention to that and prepare will do so without panic, without too much panic anyway. So I hmm. think I would have done the same thing if I, if it was a planned event. I would have done the same thing to, to wake up people. And your listeners and their families and friends ought to pay attention to this because that one little incident over in little Hawaii offshore has made a message that went round the world several times to all the countries telling people we're about to enter a very nuclear time a uh, dangerous time get ready mm. one of the uh, interesting pieces of information Stan was that there was an NBC reporter Jacob Sporoff who was in the emergency management center when the uh, alarm went off, and he was doing a piece for NBC News on Hawaii's nuclear response. And then this happens, and he was there able to document the whole thing. Wow. So, another coincidence, if you will. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. But, yeah. Hopefully, like I said, people use it for a a as a as a learning experience in order to uh, better their their prepare uh, their preparedness and their plans. Because- and, and I like how Stan said too. 
this way he'd do it. Yeah. You know, think out of the box a little bit. Interesting. Kind of switching gear. Oh, go ahead, Stan. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I wanted to get to go to another topic. Um, something that I found that I I did not post on the site today and I was just going to send it to you through Skype. I don't know if you saw this article. British man lost in Israeli desert may suffer from Jerusalem syndrome, authorities say. Now, I've never heard of this Jerusalem syndrome, and I don't know if you have either, Stan. This is why I wanted to... Okay, well, this is really... This is really interesting. I'm going to read part of this article just to give you the gist, and I'm going to email it to you right now as well. It says a British tourist went missing in an Israeli desert, uh, maybe suffering from what is called Jerusalem syndrome. Authorities believe this after discovering a makeshift chapel and a trail of Bible pages left behind. They call this Jerusalem syndrome. They say it manifests in having religious delusions, including believing one is the next Messiah or biblical figure, or uh, or merely heading to holy places while leaving everyone behind. They say the condition is often triggered by visit to Jerusalem and can affect anyone, including those who have shown no signs of mental illness before. It normally ends once a person leaves Israel. Who's writing that? America's Psychiatric Association? Fox News. Jeez. But I've never heard of anything like this, and... um, Oh, gone. Well, Newsweek picked it up, so it was the Washington Post about ten hours ago. Just checking okay. on the internet. Uh, okay. Well, I, I just have a problem. Well, yeah, I got a problem. I wanted with to this. get into this because see, this is what they say. They say that this guy uh, was went to Israel as a, a student to to in, in Britain to study Jerusalem and to go mountain biking throughout the holy pla- uh, the holy city, and that somehow he he got went way off track, went out into the desert intentionally. He's been out there for for months, and they found pictures of. Uh, Scripture in the Bible under under stones and handwritten scriptures and references to biblical stories like Jesus fasting in the desert, and they even found uh, improvised chapels that he made featuring circular clearings in the sand flattened by bicycle tools. Oh, how, how many people have been affected by this? This, this is even, what I'm wondering. This is, see, I've never heard about this until this morning when I'm reading about it, and this is a former psychiatrist, an expert on Jerusalem syndrome. Doctor, wait, wait, wait a second. He majored. Uh, he's an expert. Expert on it. They call it uh, just these religious experiences in the desert, and they say that it only happens or happens predominantly in and around Jerusalem. And I just I wanted to throw that out to you, Stan, because I've never heard of this before, and uh, well, it's pretty wild. Over the last, gosh, let's see, maybe forty years that I've been, you know. Uh, writing and lecturing and putting out books and stuff, I get emails from people, sometimes phone calls, one time a visit as well, by people who are kind of deluded, uh, thinking they are either the Messiah of the modern age or, well, in fact, a couple of them did say they, they were, um, you know, in Australia and here. Uh, and, you know, I kind of, I guess, just, you know, fluffed it off and everything, but... When you think about it, people like that that do actually go over to the Holy Land to Jerusalem, uh, there is kind of a, a feeling one gets in that uh, town um, that you're touching antiquity, you know, where Jesus walked and where all the stuff in the Bible happened. And even in the, the countryside in various places, you know, the sites, uh, you know, from ancient digs and uh, palaces and things like that. So I can see quite easily how people who are deluding themselves who have this psychosis, you know, out of the country, then land there in Jerusalem, 
and get caught up in the feel of the place would go a lot further. Uh, I'm no psychiatrist, but I can I can tell you I, I didn't think I was a messiah or anything, but I I just felt awe as I walked down the stone pathways and stuff in the old city, and then you know in in Beijing onto the the uh, uh, mosaics on the floor they uh, they uncovered the time and in the north to a, a synagogue that they'd uncovered you just and to Masada when you stand up there where all those people kill themselves to avoid the Roman capture um, it's all it's uh, you're actually touching what is mentioned in the Bible which has not been tangible before and that act may may trigger some people to think that they're one of the the, the two uh, witnesses that's going to be there during the tribulation or that they're the Messiah or they're John the Baptist, you know, reincarnate or something. So I had never heard it called the Jerusalem Syndrome, but I have, you know, met uh, people by email or in person that thought they were, you know, chosen somehow. Yeah. See, but to me, I don't know what you're saying, Stan, about that that uh, mentality or uh, type of person or person who believes that. I've read people who, who believe that same thing. You can see it on, on Internet boards and comment sections, but this seems like it's something different. I, I guess if we take the Messiah complex aside, um, I don't know. I'm going to have to do some digging on this because it's fascinating to me. that it, it, it almost seems like a geographical or regional. They're describing it as a regional or geographical syndrome. Um, well, the biblical records do point to Jerusalem, to Israel, you know, as the center of of prophetic uh, events and it's been that way for several thousand years two thousand years and then some of the older stuff at the time of David uh, goes back you know three thousand years so uh, right. you know I don't know it's uh, I, you know, I, I, I would can, as you stated I would definitely be in awe of the the antiquity the history oh, the, yeah. the um you know that the Jesus walked the this, this streets I'm walking I, I, could, I can understand that, but I don't think I'd be ripping pages out of my Bible, putting them under rocks, and creating, you know, makeshift altars in the desert. I just, no. I don't know how we get from A to B there. I guess. But well, I just think that um, you know the fervor of the moment may over overtake some people, especially young students and things like that. But it certainly is a place where that uh, that type of syndrome could manifest very, very easily in. How does somebody survive out there in the desert with no resources? Or, I mean, they they make it sound like this guy's just out wandering the desert. Well, I don't know what he does for water. That's the most important thing. You can go, you know, forty days with uh, without uh, food, but not without water. Um, you know, three or four days maybe in that uh, desert heat, but um, he had to have water somewhere. I don't know how he got that. Yeah, very very strange. I'm going to continue to to look into this.
thing so that over several generations they would produce a race of tan people, not black, not just brown, not white, but tan, to eliminate the racial problems. And we're seeing that happen now with the, the left wing in this country and, and the multinationalists over there trying to drive our politics. Don't want that, that wall, don't want the, the, uh, the migrants or immigrants that are illegal or otherwise coming into the United States, or being blocked from coming into the United States. You know, they want this cross-cultural mix, and they, they want the genetic mix uh, to reach their long-term uh, objectives. And if you look in, in Europe now with the, the Muslim migrations from the tan races in the Middle East, you know, the Arab nations, you see how they're they're forcing that they're they're staying there and they're starting to integrate uh, and to uh, marry uh, you know uh, European uh, women or men and as a result we're going to see children that are more tan like than either of the parents so yeah well, I, Stan what is it about the what is it about white people I mean we don't see this in in Chinese or Japanese or Indian or Russian or it, it's it's centered in western europe and america i mean they it's like the they want to eradicate every white person on, on in the west well i'll tell you i'll tell you when i was researching the garden of eden um i put together a map of uh, where noah's three sons were given land and where they 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 went after they left turkey and mainly the um uh Chinese, uh, some of the uh, of the entity, or some of the Asian countries, were uh, the um, uh, the son were one of the sons of Noah. That that uh, that uh, yellow kind of tint to the skin came from uh, Japheth. And then I found that in, in Africa, in the southern parts of what uh, you know was existed at the time of Noah before the continent started to split, that that was you know um, the. Uh, um, Oh, what's his name? Um, what, uh, uh, one of Noah's sons, it was a black one anyway. It wasn't Shem, it was uh, Ham. Um, Ham. No. Ham? Yeah. Okay. Now, and, and I put a flat map out and put that the, the continents all together and looked at the distribution of Japheth and Shem and Ham. Now, Shem, the Shemites, were the lighter-skinned ones, and their, their uh, land uh, went, you know, through uh, Turkey and Europe, and uh, into America, actually, because it was connected at, or at the time with the river between the, the borders there. Um, and it's just a, a, almost a straight swath across the middle, which was the, the Shemite. And, of course, the Shemite is where you get, you know, Israel, Israelites. Uh, and you do get some of the um, uh, Arabic uh, descendants there as well, which were light-skinned and mixed with the locals. But it's that thing which I think that Satan is pushing is to get rid of the Shemite, because out of the Shemites came the Messiah. And, you know, um, it makes perfect sense to me that that would be the push, just disappear that uh, that gene pool. Uh, you know, I never looked at it in that big of a... Uh, I could be wrong, but that's well, no, what I saw observing the map. But when you look at it, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Hmm. You look at it, you see yellow, white, brown, or mm -hmm. yellow, white, black races, basically. Right. Uh, and they're distributed to, you know, north, middle, south, across the planet. We put everything back together again as one continent. There's so much we don't understand about our ancient history, but we're trying.
trying wow. bit, bit by bit to put it together. Yes, yeah, but but I, I like that that broad uh, view approach to that. That's uh, to, to me that that wow, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's hope it's right. <laughs> well, don't want to mislead anybody. No, but but uh, you know it it. <sighs> When you look at it from a biblical perspective, it, it does provide a, uh, to me, that just, that has the, uh, feeling or ring of truth to it, you know, so anyway. Yeah. I try to do that with a lot of this kind of questionable stuff, you know, to relate it back to biblical passages and concepts and see if it's in agreement. If it's not, then I go recheck my, my conclusions or my facts or whatever. Uh, you know, on that line, uh, on my show, I'm just page 58 59, this is, slides, 58, 59, they take you to an article and then to a bunch of uh, photographs taken all over Saudi Arabia by helicopter um, and some of the neighboring countries as well. The guy has 140,000 aerial images he's put together and the article was concentrating on what they found in Saudi Arabia, which they call gates or kites or that kind of stuff. And there's just so much more coming to light and you can see buried structures that he's photographed and things like that, which are much higher resolution than what I got on Google Earth. Um, and there's talk in the article, in, in the slide 58, when you get at the article, about the old men, the men of the ancient time, that the Bedouins call them, who lived in the land and made all these strange artifacts, stone artifacts and structures, and the sands of time had covered it. And of course, I'm, I'm convinced that was Atlantis and it was flooded when that asteroid hit over near uh, India and backwashed uh, all over Saudi Arabia. And you can see from the sand deposits that there was layers and layers of wet sand put over a civilization, in fact, several of them. Um, even Lawrence of Arabia, you know, said that there is the Atlantis of the sands over there somewhere in the empty quarter of the world of Kali. Uh, he thinks it's buried under all that sand, and I, I think it's a perfect place to see it. There would be... Um, signs of an ancient advanced civilization but it's just totally buried in, in feet and feet maybe yards of sand um, and you know Atlantis I'm sure had the population talked about in Genesis 6 where the fallen ones made it with the sons of Adam and uh, and produced these hybrid giants that, and uh, I'm sure from the legends of Og the Bible King Og that slept in a what, was it, 12 or 18 foot uh, long uh, bed and Goliath and his uh, brothers uh, being uh, huge, that they were remnants of the seed that weren't destroyed in the flood. And the rabbis uh, that study the ancient uh, records of that, it crosses their eyes trying to figure out how any of that bad flesh survived the flood. And they come up with all kinds of ridiculous ways that it might have happened. But the flood, uh, I'm pretty certain, did not kill all of the bad flesh at that time. Uh, Greek legends talk about uh, chimeric type beings, you know, and they talk about Hercules and, you know, uh, the uh, one-eyed giant and uh, um, a number of things that are, you know, a a, uh, half-man, half-horse centaur type structure. These things, uh, if they existed for a time after the flood, have they survived somehow? might be why God told Joshua when he took Israel into the Promised Land to kill certain villages kill everything, man, woman, child, uh, animals, kill everything, leave nothing there to get rid of the surviving bad DNA from that uh, pollution of the, of the uh, genetic structure of the planet by the fallen ones before the flood. Um, the, the, the biblical passage about the flood destroying the, the 
because it's not clear and we see evidences around the earth of surviving groups of giants or hybrid beings that died off or were killed off after that, uh, I do tend to think that the flood did not get rid of all these bad things at that moment, but it got rid of the majority of them. And their civilization is just totally destroyed. So, so if, I, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying it was intentionally localized, if that would be the correct term. Uh, no, no, I'm saying no. that I think there were probably 12 major population centers, at least that many around the planet, probably one down at the Antarctic uh, at the South Pole, uh, one or two in South America, North America, some in China, and the only one that we have surviving uh, records of is uh, Saudi Arabia or Atlantis, but there were 11 others. So the global flood was not just a rising of water, it was uh, rushing torrents like a huge tidal waves from the impact of that uh, asteroid and it swept around the planet several times and hit I think all of these major centers of the, the 12 um, places where they, they tried to develop these hybrid civilizations okay okay yeah and uh, okay. you know but there were there were pieces of them left here and there you know or, or survivors and God mopped them up various ways uh, using Joshua in the case of the Middle East but we do know that giant beings, live there. They're in the, the, the biblical record, and there are evidences uh, under the, the magma or the lava that cooled off in the um, Golan Heights, which was right close to where uh, Og, the king of Bashan, lived before all the, the, the uh, volcanoes erupted and covered up. We're pretty sure that that was giants there, the main surviving group. Uh, and up on the Golan Heights, there is a, a giant circle um, you know, of stone uh, not as big as Stonehenge, but it certainly is attributed to the ancient giants having made that symbol there in the, the rocks on the Glen Heights. So uh, there are just a lot of things that I don't probably have the time to go through here uh, that uh, I did do in the uh, Atlantis uh, video on my uh, YouTube channel. Uh gives you a lot more information and maps and showing names of places and where uh, one or two of the sons of Poseidon of Atlantis uh, had their kingdom, and it even bears their name uh, today. Um, so that kind of stuff tells me that uh, uh, there were survivors. Uh, the Bible says there were giants, and this is why the rabbis have had so much trouble, because if you read the scripture in one way, it says the flood killed all life, but it didn't, and that's what bugged them. They couldn't figure out why some could have survived to, to be the giants, to be, you know, Goliath, and to be Og. And there are records of giants in other countries as well. So this is why I believe that one word, uh, Eretz, uh, whether it was a, a local meaning uh, or uh, dirt meaning or planetary meaning or all of the water, all of the land that's above water on the whole planet. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm not pedantic about it. I don't want anybody to get upset, but I'm trying to be uh, rationalizing evidence Yeah. Hmm. Stan, we got about 10 minutes left. Where do you want to go from here? I, I just saw also, I don't know if you've been seeing the reports of the meteorites over uh, the mid, the Midwest from yesterday and today. There was a meteorite that went uh, through the Midwest that messed with communications and, and uh, video cameras. And today there's a reports of a very big meteor uh, shaking houses that went by Detroit, causing a lot of panic in Detroit. 
just a few hours ago. Um, you know, I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah, but, any you know, uh, reason well, for the increase? Well, these fast-moving objects, you know, they they do produce a, uh, an ionized plasma cloud around them. If they're big enough not to be vaporized, you know, immediately, they will broadcast a, a lot of white noise, if you wish, in the electromagnetic spectrum, which can interfere with, uh, you know, electronic transmissions and cameras and radios and stuff like that. But where are these coming from? I don't know. In fact, in fact, uh, slide 55 may have some, or 56 may have some, 55 may have something to do with it. Um, China has been reporting the news trying to uh, devise a, uh, a laser system they'll put in orbit, and they're having trouble figuring out what a safe orbit for it will be to laser and destroy a number of pieces of debris that they have tracked in orbit around the planet from various space missions and missiles that failed and satellites that broke up. 500,000 pieces they've tracked so far at NORAD surround the planet, and the picture makes it look like they're all close together, but they're not when you get down to it. Um, and the, the problem is that with the Chinese system is that they don't know that they can park their their laser uh, in a, a an orbit that won't be hit by some of this debris. And you think, oh, well, this you know, there's junk out there, big deal. But that junk is in orbit, and it's moving at speeds up to 17,000 miles an hour. So if they put their satellite up, or if anybody puts the satellite up in the path of this debris, whether they can see it or not, uh, one little grain of that stuff can blow a hole through a space station traveling that fast. Uh, I've seen some of the test results for the grain of sand that they've shot into a solid aluminum block uh, at that speed. And it does make a tunnel, a big tunnel, in that block of uh, aluminum. So... And that's a lot thicker than the, the skin of uh, satellites and uh, space stations, things like that. So maybe some of this stuff is starting to come down. I mean, eventually its orbits are going to decay. And one of the things that can cause that decay early is uh, solar flares and activity, which we've been having a lot of, um, which uh, heat up the atmosphere and then cool it down. And it puts you know slow oscillations into the orbits of everything up there. So some of it's on marginal uh, stable orbit would uh, be probably pushed into descent, and that might be what some of these things are you're talking about over the United States today. Uh, I don't know; it's just a guess. Okay, that's a that's that's fascinating. And uh, there, so let me understand this. Then the the Chinese are going to build laser weapons to. From a satellite platform. But I guess I'm yeah. not understanding the mechanics of what the lasers do. do they are going to uh, vaporize, obliterate the, the debris? Are they going to knock it out of well, orbit? Well, uh, uh, as I understand it, uh, just from what I've read, the, the laser will hit a target on one side, and that side will heat up, and uh, the the plume that comes off of it will be like a jet, and it will cause it to fall into a lower orbit and then into the atmosphere and then be burnt up. So the wow. objective uh, is to is to make the junk lose orbit by you know vaporizing part of it to cause it to uh, you know to well to lose orbital status. That's pretty. That's pretty crazy that they can do that. Do you, well, they've got uh, the lasers. They just got to figure out how to get it up there and keep it in safe orbit. Because yeah. they're going to have to be close enough to to. Uh, lock on and destroy these things, but that's going to put them in harm's way because they'll be on the edge of the debris field. Uh, and, you know, if one of those little high-speed uh, sand grains are larger, hits the, the laser satellite, it's gone. 
Stan, do you have any, have you been following the SpaceX launches, uh, this, this Zuma mission that just yeah. happened? Yeah, they failed. Well, that, that's um, what I wanted to ask you about. There's speculation if it really did fail or not. And I've even seen people tie in the, uh, you know, these missile, false missile alerts to, uh, you know, testing out of the Zuma that actually did not fa- fall, according to some. But um, I, I just I found know. it very interesting. I don't know. I did see, I think, in today's news that the uh, the continued NASA or government contracts with SpaceX to take things up at the space station may be at risk because of the, yeah. uh, you know, the unreliability of the SpaceX rockets. Um, yeah, Forbes has a piece on that right now. So is that? Uh, a red herring, or is that uh, true? You know, is it meant to take pressure off of the the Zuma mystery, or or not? Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't know. I did, I just wanted to know if you had any special insight or idea of what really happened with that. And the reason I say that it, it might not have failed, or people don't think it failed, is because apparently when it was launched, it reached the orbit and orbited the Earth one time, uh, and apparently that would means that means it would be. It would have reached its objective, and it wouldn't have come back down to fell if it if it reached its orbit and did it did orbit the Earth one time. But um, who knows? Yeah, I mean, was it was it a casing that orbited one time and came down and left its its package up there or what? You don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, look. Nowadays, they so we're shielded from so much stuff and and fed so much BS. You know, it's hard to know truth from you know lie. Um. I hate to be like a conspiracy guy all the time and say, oh, yeah, well, they're not telling us everything, but, you know, it's kind of their fault that they've lied in the past when it's been proved to government on issues. Um, so lie to me once, lie to me twice, well, hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, we've, we've had a year. We've had a year of, of damaging weather, and people try to blame this on global, uh, in quotes, warming. Well, we've got freezing temperatures and 40 degree below zero temperatures in various places in Russia. Uh, you know, that doesn't sound too warm to me. We've had $306 billion worth of damage, uh, this year from a majority of it, uh, $265 billion of it being from hurricanes. And we're well aware of, you know, what happened in, uh, Houston and Florida and in the Caribbean there. But, um, and then we've had wildfires and stuff and then mudslides after that. In my opinion, uh, America's being judged right now. It's starting. Well, many people believe that, and uh, especially with California, with all the things that we've been seeing in California from the, the fires to the mudslides. Now, it's come out that California has the most poverty, is the, is the poorest state or has the poorest population in, in their state. And then you see this flu outbreak where uh, they're setting up... Uh, out in the streets, yeah, because there's not enough room in the hospitals. And we had John Rappaport of No More Fake News on yesterday, and he talked about only 16% of last year's uh, tests that were sent to the CDC with people who said they had the flu came back as testing positive, positive for, the flu. for the flu. And I know a number of things that can uh, cause that, but he thinks there's something else going on that, you know, it's just a push to sell flu shots and uh, that this is something different. This flu year, what we're seeing is something different. And some of the numbers, uh, I read a number today out of Texas where they said 1,155 people had died from the flu or pneumonia-related uh, deaths this season, and that just seems like such a high number to me, almost a, a pandemic-level number 
uh, it, just being they're from saying one state. It's, it's to that level. Uh, you know, in my case, uh, this year, because I'm getting older a bit, and they were talking about this uh, terrible flu strains coming in the 10 of them, that, uh, well, Holly and I took the flu shot. And although I got pneumonia, and I'm still pretty sore in the chest uh, after it's been gotten rid of, um, I'm thinking that perhaps I could have been a lot worse and died if I hadn't had the shot to give me some immunity to, to the flu strain that led to the pneumonia. And the other thing is the this, this terrible pneumonia is an Australian strain. And of course, living there 30 years, and I did catch uh, one flu down there that was really, really hostile and survived when I was younger. That may have given me an immunity to that, but uh, I'm very grateful that it was that way because so many people in my age group that have caught it have died. But... Uh, Anybody. Yeah, you, you've got to be very careful. I mean, we all have to be careful. And I'm amazed at the statistics that, uh, how this affects young people, uh, yeah, vibrant yeah. people, you know, they, 20s and 30s. Young, healthy yeah. people. I, you, you got to wonder if it's something that's weaponized uh, over an existing flu strain. Uh, mm-hmm. There are so yeah. many ways that evil can hurt the whole planet, you know, genetic modification of uh, these diseases and you know, food and water supplies, polluting those somehow, uh, weather warfare. I, I, you know, I said to Holly this morning, I said, you know, we got to get off of this planet. It's, it's ruined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, uh, I feel well, like cramped. Uh, I, I, I hope to yeah. see you next week. Well, thank you. You, you know, we, we, we had a great quick. conversation. We, this was This was a fun hour. Of just conversation. Well, we talk about things that are on people's minds. Uh, you get letters or email, and so do I, and they, it tells us what what they're worried about. And occasionally, we get some behind the scenes information, and it helps us to put reason to what we see in the news. I was so Absolutely. I was really encouraged though to to hear about people actually kneeling in the streets and praying over in in Hawaii when that uh, missile alert went out. That was just you know, really a good sign that deep down they have that that uh, allegiance to God, and they they turn back to it in the time of crisis. Now we need to carry that through in the time of non-crisis. Make yeah. that make that a uh, regular routine or a routine. Don't forget to go to myempshield.com and use promo code Hagman. There's a link on our website, HagmanReport.com. Takes you right there. You can go to get right there. Absolutely. Stan, thank you so much for the time. We look forward to having you back on next week. Get some rest. We're willing that'll happen. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That'll do it for us tonight. Tomorrow, 9 to 10 a.m., the Doug Hagman Radio Show, 2 to 3, the Hagman Daily Show, and Hagman Report here at 7 o'clock. Uh, today on the Hagman Daily Show, we had to publish it on Blog Talk an hour late because Blog Talk wasn't working, but it is there if you were looking for it earlier. That'll do it for us tonight. We'll be back tomorrow.